Welcome to episode 118 of the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. Uh, I have my actual I was just going to say, you got the band back together, I man. I don't know the last time I've had both of y'all on the same podcast at the same time. Life happens. But y'all are both here and Megan's sitting at home. But it's fine because she, she's the one person that answers. I'll get to our, our question this week. I'm very upset in our listeners because it was a great question. And she's the one person You, you posted it today. I've done that before. I've posted simple questions and I'll get like. Yeah, but yesterday was Memorial Day. There may be a lot of hungover people out there today. No hung- they have work today. Maybe they took off. I mean, we don't have work today, but they have work today. I don't know. I've been doing work. So who knows? I haven't. I've been sleeping. So, uh, want to do our sponsors real quick? Sure. Okay. If you are looking for a high quality PVC rack, look no further than Lone Star Reptile Racks. They offer a variety of sizes for all types of snakes, geckos, rats, and more. You can even order something custom. Shipping is available, or you can plan to pick up at a Herps Reptile Show near you. Visit lsreptileracks.com to reach out to Lone Star Reptile Racks and place your order today. Dot com. And yeah. this weekend, we'll be in Lafayette. Yeah, so speaking of, uh, of sponsors and shows, the Herbs Reptile Shows, we've got the Lafayette, Louisiana show this weekend, June 4th and June 5th, which I'm excited about because it means I get to pick up some boudin and have some boudin balls and just eat Cajun food in general. Excited about that. And then the week after that, we have Conroe, the big Conroe show, June 11th Ooh. and 12th. That is Katie's birthday weekend. Yeah. Just saying, if you see Katie, tell her happy birthday. <laughs> uh, June 24th, 25th and 26th is Longview, Texas. That's the East Texas show. And then we're back over into Louisiana for Slidell, the big Slidell show, July 23rd and 24th. So if you are east of Texas and you've been wanting to make it to a Herp show, Slidell's the one I would definitely recommend. That's a pretty Absolutely. big show. That's a good one. So come there. If you're Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, Florida, drive on over. Check out the Slidell, Louisiana show, July 23rd and 24th. Uh, Oklahoma City show, July 30th and 31st. Corpus Christi, August 13th and 14th. Bryan College Station, August 20th and 21st. Again, if you're in Bryan for that show. Um, the shop is closed that weekend. I keep forgetting the shop. And you are, keep telling them so, to go by and check that, out the if they shop. Get on Friday, if they get there early on Friday, they go to the shop. Yes. What show's closed? What they, shop? Uh, the Herp shop. Herp shop during shows. is closed that Saturday of the show. Uh, oh, the Brian College Station. Yeah, because they closed yeah, the shop during the, the show. because the employees come and work. Yeah. Well, they also closed the shop because, I mean, there's no reason to compete with the people that they already bought the animals from. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Austin, Texas is August 27th, 28th. Then we're back in Conroe in September. There's New Orleans, Waco, Lafayette. Ah, this is what I was trying to get to. November 12th, 13th, I get to sleep in my own bed. Mm-hmm. That's I thought the par- it was the 13th, 14th. Is 12th, 12th and 13th? 12th, 13th. Okay. That's the Pearland, Texas show. That's right, because that Friday is Veterans Day, and I think we're out of school that day. Veterans Day is on a Friday? November 11th. Is that always on November 11th? No. Yeah. Is it? I thought it was one of those Monday things like Memorial Day. I don't know. No. I just know that they tell me don't go to school. Oh, my God. <laughs> I thought it was like one of those always on a Monday holiday. See, now you're looking it up because you're not sure. No, I'm looking to see if we actually have off that day. Anyways, uh, the Paraline Texas show is November 12th. There's some other ones between that date and the other ones I gave you, but. That's the one that means I get to sleep in my own bed. So I'm excited. But come out and see us. We'll be at the Lafayette Show. I will have rainbow boas and sand boas. Robert will have racks and cages. Um, yep. So yeah. No, we're not out of school that day. Are we out on the Monday after? No. For Veterans Day? We weren't this past year either, which I thought was real. It's the first time I've ever what worked on Veterans of? Day. Well, that's fucking weird. Uh, we may take the day off and help with setup. That's true. I might take the day off. Uh, other sponsors? 
Okay, I'll do our other sponsors. I thought you were going to jump in. I did one, you did one. I thought we were going to go back and forth, but no. No, I only ever do Roberts. Well, that's not cool. <laughs> also, visit our, our friends over at Wiregrass Exotics for all your feeder needs and rattlesnakes and all sorts of cool stuff they have there. Check them out in Ozark, Alabama. You can't miss it because if you're driving from Troy to Dothan, it's the only thing. So, and there's a Walmart. There's a Walmart and Wiregrass Exotics. So, check them out. I uh, know I'm missing somebody. Our giveaway. Oh, our giveaway. You told me to wait, though. Yeah, but you can still talk about it. That's true. So our giveaway is up here on the wall behind me. There's a picture of it on our Facebook page, but it is the mandala, the chameleon mandala from our friends at Crafty Gargoyles. You should definitely go over and check out Crafty Gargoyles on Facebook. Just if you need art for your snake room, if you need to get a gift for somebody that's an animal person or a non-animal person, they make tons of non-animal related things, but amazing mandalas. We're giving away this one. All you had to do was post a picture of your U.S. art membership on the post on our Facebook page and you're entered. Uh, I'm going to wait to the end of the day. I was going to give it this show and give it away this show. But I'll give yeah. it away next week. I mean, if somebody's listening tonight and they haven't done it yet, they should be able to go to US Arc. That is true. Join US Arc, send us their link, and then it counts for the giveaway. Yeah, so, so I'll wait till midnight tonight and then we'll cut it off then. And then, yes, that's And then we'll fair. give it away next week on the podcast. Absolutely. That's, that's fine. It gives me another week of it hanging on my wall. Mm-hmm. So I'm cool with that. So yes, our friends at Crafty Gargoyle, that's our giveaway. Also... Uh, I still love the fact that we are working together with VivTech products and you can get the discount code. It's a 15% discount code. It's Gumbo22 at checkout when you order your new VivTech uh, SureSun light bulbs or your UV meter or the snake bags, whatever you order. The UV meter. I want a UV meter. We're going to get one. I want one of those. Yeah. Uh, But Gumbo22, it's the discount code, the promo code there at the end. Uh, Go use that and try out the bulbs if you haven't tried out the bulbs. Once you have, you'll love them because... It's peace of mind once you have that thing on. I mean, obviously, like any other UV bulb, you should check it, which is why we need to get the meter. But they have tested them, and they last much longer than what you are used to using. And for the price, 100% worth it. All right. Go ahead and bring our guest in so that I can tell my story. Oh, no. I'm telling your story. No, because you don't know all the details, and then you can add I know the ones that matter. Well, I'll add. I will preface the story with the facts. Okay. Here we go. So our my mouse keeps disappearing. There it is. Our guest tonight is Ari Flagel. Is Ari in? How's it going, Ari? Good. How are you guys? Good. Good. I want to. I'm trying to figure out what's a Ari of Reptilandia, uh, Reptile Lagoon. Or hold on, this book that I'm holding right here, <laughs> which is Serpents in the Clouds. Which I'm not gonna lie, my listeners know I don't read. I just collect shit tons of books, and I've looked through this because it has amazing pictures. He's totally point, fangirling. At some just point, so I'm totally you know. gonna read this book because it's amazing. But it's, oh, thank. You. But for we'll get to this about the Bolins pythons. It's the whole thing is fascinating. You're but such a dork. Let's get to Katie's <laughs> amazing story. Okay, <laughs> Ari, you can weigh in. And Robert hasn't heard this yet. Um, so I we just got out of school on Friday. Friday was the last day of school. Uh, for every all of our listeners that know, we had a, a death in my family, and things have been very crazy the last month. I've been in and out of school, and we've had state Fast testing. Forward. Come on, shut up. Uh, so I have three class pets. I, well, I have four, but the guinea pig was already at the house. But so mammals I have, don't count. I have a bearded dragon. I have a Brazilian horn frog. I have a leopard gecko. So the horn frog I noticed was his, his dirt was dry. It was the last day of school. I had like 18 kids in my classroom cause they all showed up on the last half day and I was watering him and the kids had been using tap water. So I was a little nervous because normally we use bottled water. But with the last month, I had forgotten to bring some. Give him some of that Fiji mountain water? No. Oh, okay. So 
as I'm giving water, I realize he's not moving around. So I lifted the log and there he is all shriveled up. I poked him with a log. He did not move. Uh I panicked because I have a room full of children and then like cried for 45 minutes after school. I didn't even tell James until that night because I felt so horrible. I've had this frog for two years. I got him when he was the size of a quarter and I killed the frog. You'd make a horrible corner. Keep going. So I finally get to the point where I can go to school today to take care of the body. And guess what asshole is alive and not actually dead. Wide fucking awake. Just sitting there staring and at And James her. was like, I'm going to need you to poke me with a really hard stick if you ever think I'm actually dead. I may just be sleeping hard. I, you, I, texted, I texted the people that I got him from, and I was, like, all upset. And, I I mean, I was, like, She was all ready to bury this animal. I was. I that was. I was. 100% alive. I texted the people back today. I'm like, so guess what asshole is actually alive? And uh, she laughed at me so hard. One of our... Um, Dumeril's bow is a few weeks ago when Rachel was on the cruise the first time in March. I walked in there and she's upside down, <gasps> mouth is on her body, all like open. And I'm like, they don't do that. That's dead. <laughs> she, so I opened up her enclosure, reaching to grab her, and she's like, what? But see, and you I'm made like, sure she wasn't dead. Right. I had a classroom like, well, full of kids and was okay. not explaining to them on the last day of school why our frog died. Okay. Okay. She already signed this thing off as dead. I totally did. And I finally brought myself to going up there today to take care of it. If that thing had been dead, it sat in that place for a weekend, and it's an amphibian, and those things go nasty quick. It would have been gross. Well, gross. son of a bitch was still alive. He's, he's alive. He's on our kitchen table downstairs. Yeah. Alive. I have a pinky falling out. Well, he's in a tank on our kitchen table. He's no, like, he's, he's just sitting there. I've trained him <laughs> to just sit there on the kitchen table. He's now a kitchen frog. Asshole. Oh, man. I cried for like 45 minutes about that thing. <laughs> Son of a bitch is alive. It's like Maria and her cat. Shit. Yes! <laughs> that's, yes! What was it? She found... A dead cat a dead, in the road. And the dead cat in the road, and then she opened her closet. I don't know if it was in the road. No, no, no. She, like, buried got the, the cat, cat, buried oh, the cat, right. like, like the grieved cat. for the whole day, only that night to open a closet and in her house, up. and the cat comes running out of the closet. Fucking and she pet was cemetery. Like, what the hell just yeah. happened? Uh, a friend of ours. Yeah. Again, so people okay. out there, uh, make sure things are dead before you bury them. Just, just give it a heads up. Yeah, thanks, Nathan. Nathaniel, he's doing great. <laughs> Asshole. God. <clears throat> all right. Stupid frog. <laughs> Still can't believe that it was dead. Uh, Ari, let's, uh, if you'll yeah. give, let's give a short background of you, and then we'll get into some of the really cool things you've done for any of our listeners that haven't heard you on like the 30 million other podcasts you've been on. Um, okay, so I've been working with reptiles since I was like, I guess five or six, like catching snakes and stuff. And, uh, it turned into like, you know, a passion, like with everybody, like as so many other people have, you know, I don't see myself any, any different than anybody else really. We just like reptiles. So, um, it kind of moved into like, you know, my career choice. Like I've always had reptiles. So, um, you know, it was just kind of like a love I had, but I'm also an artist too. So like, it was always going back and forth and, you know, professionally, I, I, I went to, and got a, a degree, a bachelor's degree in computer and traditional animation. So my background is that. And then on the side, I was doing, you know, uh, herpetoculture and, uh, you know, pursuing herpetology, you know, as a, as a passion and, you know, now as a, as my career. So I've, you know, I've worked in various zoo institutions and uh, private collections and things like that and got to do some, some fun stuff. So. 
Yeah, I, I find I find it very interesting the stuff you've done while not being a traditional academic when it comes to reptiles. Uh, Correct. Mainly <laughs> all the stuff that's in this book and all the stories I've heard, like when you're on like NPR and all, that is stuff you normally expect from doctor somebody who is doing a study on something. And I was like, no, I'm just going to go across the world and try not to get eaten in the middle of the jungle. Yeah, several times. And it worked. <laughs> he didn't get eaten. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's like a, like I said, it's a passion, you know, not just with, you know, Bolin's pythons, because that's, you know, what I, I really, really enjoy studying and being around and, and conversing about. I mean, obviously I love all reptiles and, and you know, turtles and tortoises, all that and frogs also, you know, um, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, I, it's hard not to just go at it all the way as far as like doing it in an academic way as, as well, like with what I'm trying to, to achieve, which is answer as much as I can, not only to myself, but to be able to share it with people. So like there's, you know, and, and the academic avenue is, is interesting to me as well. I mean, I, I eventually once, I hope to eventually once the, once the new facility is up and running is pursue my master's degree in herpetology so I can have that as well and, and, you know, kind of move it into, you know, more publications with some of my research. Stuff. But yeah, I mean, I, I started out and I still, I still do consider myself just a herpetoculturist, um, you know, but my passion for it is, you know, made me, you know, I, I don't say, you know, allowed me because, you know, ultimately you're the choice of, you know, whatever you decide to life. So, you know, I've, I've made that choice of, you know, devoting, you know, 15 plus years to, to traveling over to these remote places to, to study this one animal. So, so yeah. <laughs> well, if you work on your master's degree, I know a guy, you can go through Z Dr. Zach Lofman, who we had on last week and get your master's degree there. That's the one that's going to be doing it with me. <laughs> that's what I figured. Nice. And then you can intern at your own job. Exactly. Yeah. We've, we've, we talked about this a number of years ago and I just said, Hey man, I was like, uh, I want to do this. I, I want to do this still, you know, it's, you know, I've, I've got this, I want to have a master's degree in this field. And, uh, but I'm like, he's like, all right, well, let's just wait till you finish building the zoo first. And I said, okay, cool. We can do that. You know? So, and then, you know, COVID and all that stuff happened. So it's kind of like pushed everything back. So, yep. So the future, so I'm still young. <laughs> yeah. And you totally like, Everybody talks about like citizen scientists and Ari's like, yeah, no, I am. I am a citizen scientist. I, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, there's no doubt. Like, I want to know. Like, there's this question. Like, you know, it's like, you know, everyone's like, oh, what are you specifically trying to figure out? I'm like, there's nothing specific. I'm trying to gather everything and anything I possibly can. And then look and then look at it later, you know, and, and compare it. And then, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, you want nesting bi biology? Sure, I got that. Oh, you want, you know, environmental biology, soil samples? Oh, yeah, sure. It's no problem. So, you know, it's nice. It's nice to have that in my Rolodex, I guess. Well, and the the Boland's Python is an interesting one. Just just everything about it. One, it's super popular now because of things like Instagram. Like, take shiny yeah. black snake into sun, and people automatically love it, even if they know nothing about the snake. Exactly. Exactly. It's it, you know, it's it's funny. I, I I get into the topic a lot of people about with social media, and it, it's such a powerful tool. Um, you know, it, you can achieve incredible things with it, but. It, also devastating in so many fucking ways um and that's just the hard thing with you know just being able to differentiate that um you know is is attention good that also comes back with negative attention to it is somebody saying they just want it because it's pretty as opposed to you know oh really understanding what it is you know so yeah so it's a it's a, it's a slippery slope you know when I worry about that, and, and luckily the the price tag, I go two ways when it comes to the price tag on something like a Boland's. Uh, uh, luckily the price tag keeps those people that from going on Instagram going, pretty black snake, let me get one. 
they don't because yeah. it's out of the price range. But then also I fear that, uh, and we've talked about it before on this show, that there are people in the private hobby who are very good at reproducing certain species that that people other people that have worked years and years on and can't get done just there's something about how they do it or whatever and i feel that this price tag on this kind of snake oh, stops I completely, that completely agree not just with bolins but uh with so many different species um but you know bull and i particularly have always maintained a high price tag which i feel is um is a good thing to a level i mean however an exorbitant amount of money for an animal is absolutely re- is asinine in my opinion and um not only is it a quick, uh, a quick rich scheme, um, based off of something like that, that's just the popularity for that year. Um, it also affects the animals 150% in the wild too, because with Instagram and, you know, Facebook and TikTok and all these things, it's such a powerful tool that we can utilize, you know, talk to people, but everybody in the world, you know, typically have some sort of social media outlet and, and access so particularly with Bull and I, you know, people over in, in Indonesia and, and such can see how popular it is to have this animal. They can also see how expensive they are. And it's like, oh, I know somebody, my uncle knows somebody that could get one of those things. And then they just start going through thinking they're going to make all this money where there's a lot of legality issues with it as far as even being able to have the animal leave from point A to point B and to make it to, you know, to a collection. So it's, 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 um, it's a dangerous area. You know, it, it really... Uh, can bite, you know, bite things in the ass really quick. So I'm hoping that, uh, I'm hoping it doesn't uh, turn into that kind of an, uh, an area, which sadly a lot of it is. So, and here's my dog walking in front of me. So I'm going to be completely honest. I, I know nothing about the species that we're talking about. Um, however, isn't that a common thing where people are like, Oh, this will make me a quick buck. And then like, all of that happen. Doesn't that happen with multiple species, like not just this particular oh, yeah. snake? Of course. I mean, you've got you know in in herpetoculture when we're keeping animals, you know, you know, obviously you're doing it as a hobby, but you know, you also have to pay to feed you know your animals. You've got to you know be able to pay for you know water filtration if you're using that, electricity, you know, just standard maintenance and all that stuff adds up. And not even the cost of the animals. So that is not a you know an uncommon thing to deal with, but you know, just with, um, the way it's, uh, um, I don't know, perceived in so many different areas as, as far as there could be a negative attachment to it with, you know, just, um, I don't know, the want factor is, is the right. big thing, you know? Um, and a, a lot of times that, that outweighs a lot. And, and I don't want, you know, and the other thing too, is that, you know, they should maintain a price in my opinion, that's relatively high because they're, you know, they're a special animal, not to say that some of these $20 and $10 animals are not, this particular animal is just a little different just with the accessibility to acquire them, um, things like that. And it also, unfortunately, cuts out a lot of people, like you were saying earlier, that, I mean, I know I know some people that are absolutely incredible hobbyists that have a just knack for working with animals, but they're broke as shit, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> I'm one of those people, too. Like, I love working with reptiles, and, and you know, I end up, I don't know how I am able to spend as much money as I do because I don't hardly make enough money. So it's, but it, but it really eliminates a lot of the people that, cause, cause we ultimately want to be able to, to reproduce these animals to where we have captive sustainability. Um, so these animals are, you know, can be enjoyed, uh, and that way we can alleviate, you know, wild collection and, you know, wild pressure and stuff like that too. So it, it's, it's a double-edged sword on a lot of it. 
It's funny. I was watching. Uh, so Dave Kaufman just got back from Africa, and he was there for like a month doing some stuff on uh, to make a really cool ball, ball python video. And I know I said really cool and ball python in the same sentence. I was. I was. I know. And I, I wanted and I, to check and make sure you weren't having like a stroke. I know. Or I shit on ball pythons, but I'm very interested in watching this video because it's the natural history and it's them in the wild. It's not. Hey, look at this cool five gene morph and how much I can get for it. That's kind of cool. But the very interesting thing he pointed out was while he was in these areas. There's like no fucking wildlife in these areas. There's no large mammals, no birds. No, they've eaten them all. And the only things he found on a regular basis were the snakes and lizards because there's still an export for these and there's still a value for them as an export, as an animal. The, the, the locals aren't eating them. They're still collecting them and they still make money off of them. And so, you know, I always shit on the fact that we still import ball pythons, but I thought about that. I mean, if we weren't paying oh. to import ball pythons, They'd yeah. probably be extinct in that area. People would have eaten them to death by that by now. So it's, yeah, it's um, yeah, like I said, it it it, it sustains these people. Like it, you to, you know, there's it's it's like a fine line almost, you know. But I mean, who are you? Who are we to say that you can't, you know, sustain your families? And I run into a, a, that question a lot when when I'm doing my work because like I'm seeing these people that are collecting, you know, babies in the field to, that I know are going into the market. You know, but I am, I can't basically tell them, and it's taken me years and years and years for these local people to trust me to be able to go to these areas so that way I can get this information to help us in the long run so we don't have to give that wild, you know, pressure. Um, but who am I to say to these people they can't collect these snakes and sell them? Because some of these people won't see money for months, you know, and, and if they sell an animal, not just a ball and eye, you know, if they find a cross, you know, like a, uh, you know, a Papuan death adder or, a scrub python or something like that and they sell it you know that could feed their families for you know weeks at a time even even longer so it's you know it's it's really detrimental it you know especially with the ball python thing since it's been going on for so long and you know there's multiple 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 places there and facilities there that export these ball pythons out because they're so important for these people to survive my getaway <laughs> Yeah, it's it's Sorry. it's weird for it's really weird for a Westerner who it's you know, if we're hungry we can go down to the corner and get burger from Burger King, you know, and it's and it's, yeah. it's hard for us to judge. I say hard. It's very easy for people to judge, but it's hard for a lot of people to understand how difficult just simple food or simple things are to these people in places like yeah. you've been. And so, yeah, it, it's it's got to be especially when you first get there as I'm here to save the animal. Oh shit, you're taking all the animals and shipping them away, and then you want to tell them stop, but. Yeah, exactly. And and it's like, you know, I've I've really built up these long lasting relationships with a number of people that I visit. And it's, you know, this is what they've done, you know, historically, you know, so it's like, you know, old, you know, wildlife. Um, and, and but they're the people that live out in these places. So it's it's you really have to go there with these people to really understand these animals and be able to be able to experience the uh, and be able to find the information you're looking for. Um, it, it's, it's always interesting for me to describe, to explain to them too, that I'm not there to buy animals. I'm not there to, you know, to set up some business with them. I'm there. I just want to follow them in the mountain and take photos and temperatures and, you know, and examine, you know, you know, the soil and the plants and things like that and kind of sit there for the big picture to see how we can maintain these animals. Um, they have so to it's, learn it's, you're not competition. Exactly. And it's taken me 14 years to basically do that. Damn. Um, That's crazy. 
but but even that being said it's still always you know a common question you know um so it's like you know i always pay you know i always give them money for their time uh you know letting me be a part of their family that week or the or that or those two weeks or, or however long i'm staying at the time um that's how i'm basically you know sustaining them by giving them money for their family as opposed to going out and doing this and so the biology of this snake just based on where it is located and how it lives also is another thing that makes it so such an interesting snake because it looks very much like if you're used to carpet pythons it looks very much like just a supersized carpet python like it's a big it's your kind of australian indo, indo area python but i mean this thing lives up in the mountains where it's cold i mean it's not around people that often um give a little background just like kind of on on where this is located where you're having to go to just find these guys so uh, i mean and, and also I'll, I'll give like a real quick breakdown on, on what a bolus python is too just in case anybody you know is like oh what's going on serpent of the cloud i have no idea what that is um so uh, so bolus pythons like you were saying they're a, a, a medium to large size python you know i, I guess a, a real good idea as far as you know body proportion would be like we're just saying like a carpet python or a scrub python um genetically morphologically they're more or less related to um uh scrub pythons it was off of based off of an addition whoops uh, like uh, i think 2014 or something like that where they placed them with amethystia in that group um but um they're they're visually stunning they're jet black with uh vertical uh you know bands yellow bands coming up from their belly all the way up to the mid body and sometimes even completely candy caning in certain situations and um, then they have like forward facing yellow uh, yellow to pale white um uh stripes up along their face um and um they're just a beautiful snake um the environment is is very different from what you'd expect to find something large um the um habitat itself is very interesting it's very cool it's very wet um, it's always raining. Um, there's always moisture around and you wouldn't really expect to see a large animal that size. And, and like what I'm saying, larger, you're looking, you know, anywhere from eight to eight to 12 feet figure on an average is about nine, nine and a half um, animal to be out there. So um, they're very specialized um, and uh, it's just an incredible animal um, by, by all accounts. Yeah. it's I, And how, how risky is it for you to where you're going? Cause I mean, this is not somewhere where, I mean, Westerners are normally traveling to, right? No, no, this is, uh, there, there are tur tourists in certain areas that I transit to, but the areas I go there, I'm the only white person there. Um, and it, it's very dangerous every time. Um, I always have anxiety bef right before I leave because, you know, obviously I'm leaving my home and my family and stuff like that, but it, it's a dangerous place. It is not a, tourist trip by any means it is uh lots of work uh it's expensive to um to get certain places because um it, it's all you know travel essentially to get there it takes about three to four days uh, just to get to the spots that i that i go to where i find the snakes um so it's um it's dangerous i mean there's a lot of things to deal with you know just you know air travel in general i mean these areas are not you know very you know modern i mean they're getting better and better and better but they're still you know behind us a little bit so uh and then some of these uh remote uh villages i go to i mean you, you disappear you're gone nobody's gonna see you out there um things like that so it's a it's a dangerous place uh, i got really sick one time out there and i thought it was the first time i ever really really got scared um in all the trips out there because i was just like 
so miserable. And I'm like, I'm sitting in this little hut, you know, this abandoned hut. And I'm just like losing, going in and out of like some psychedelic scenario. Cause this fever and like, I'm going to die in this hut. Nobody's going to find me, you know, it's like, but I woke up. Like <laughs> I, I cannot even wrap my brain around this. Like this is, yeah. This is it's, shit you see in a movie yeah, it's or like on National some Geographic like stuff. National Geographic documentary. Like this is not, this is not real life. Like this is yeah. crazy. Pretty wild. Um, I've seen some really crazy things and experienced, you know, even more crazy things. It's just like, you know, um, I was, when I went there the first time I, I was told like you either love it or you hate it. And it, it like after that point, I could feel it like in my veins, like it was in my body. Like, you know, it was, um, it's an like an absolutely incredible place. There's so much culture. Um, there's so much um, like life, if that makes sense. Still, um, you really get to experience people and what they deal with on a daily, daily, on a daily basis um, that we overlook so much. So it's like a real kind of almost in a lot of ways, it's a real spiritual scenario in, in some of these spots, you know, especially when, you know, I'm standing in the middle of a village making a gigantic pile of diarrhea because I uh, drank uh, water from the creek uh, the earlier day. So <laughs> it's got to be humbling also, though. It is. <laughs> yeah. Not it's, necessarily the getting sick in the middle of the village part, but, yeah. you know, being yeah. knowing that you are the only, if not one of the few people that they let in to their society. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's like I said, it's taken like close to 14, 14, 15 years. Um, to, to really build this up. And I, I mean, it's like, and, you know, initially, I mean, it's, it's really strange too, because of COVID I've been gone for two years. I mean, I'm going to be going back really soon, um, fortunately, but I haven't seen these people in two years. I mean, I still am in contact with them, you know, weekly, but it's, uh, you know, some of these people, like it took me forever to, to, you know, to get them to, to trust me, um, to really go there and to see that I wasn't a threat or I wasn't, you know, I wasn't trying to impede in their, their area or their, you know, their businesses or whatever they're doing. So, um, yeah, it's, it's taken a lot. Um, and, uh, even, even still, sometimes it's still questionable on some of these places. Like, I mean, the, the mindset on some of the, the local people there is very different from, you know, the Western way or, you know, in some of the other, other ways of the world to think, I mean, there's still very, you know, primitive areas that a lot of these people still believe in primitive thoughts, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's, you know, there's just simply sometimes there's not words to describe a, a question or an answer because it's just not in the vocabulary of some of these people, uh, to, which makes it difficult sometimes. And I'm assuming you kind of have to enter in with the idea of you're not there to teach them or tell them how your ways are. You're, you're just simply an observer. and Exactly. Because I assume yeah. you come in there trying to say, look, that's not what it is or don't do this. Then you're out. They're not, yeah. there's no way. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm the crazy white guy that comes back twice a year to go up to the mountain and, and sweat and be in pain and get sick to see these snakes, you know, um, and, uh, to risk, you know, my life climbing these, these mountains and stuff. And, uh, the, um, it's, but it, it's really interesting. Like I remember one time on my, I think it was like my was my real one of my early trips when I was out there um I remember um 
I didn't, I, I, I speak um, enough Indonesian since all the times that I've been there to, to, you know, to get by and everything like that, to do what I need to do. And I, I continue to learn more and more as I, you know, as I'm interacting with my friends and stuff out there, but I didn't speak any at that time, you know, just like, you know, yes or no, thank you. You know, that was about it. And there was a, apparently I was in a village where I was at, you know, and I was in a hut and there was a woman that was having menstrual cramps and uh, there was a, and I, and I had overheard, um, my guide at the time talking and, and translating because I asked what was wrong because she was like really looked like she was in pain and he's like oh she's having you know period cramps and I was like oh I was like I got Tylenol in my bag here so I pulled it out just not thinking giving it to her just being a nice guy and well the medicine man in the village even though he wasn't like you know wearing like antlers and crocodiles you know hanging on stuff you know he was a very normal looking person in just some dirty jeans uh he got super pissed at me because you know not only was I taking away his business that what he does in the village, but I was given her medicine that was better than what he was giving too. So, um, you, you've got to learn that you're just there. You're a, you're a visual bystander. Um, and you, you buy vegetables and food to fill the, feed the village and contribute with what you can. And, and that's it. So um, Darren had the same question I was going to ask, but I was going to ask, what's the weirdest thing you've had to eat? But Darren says, what do you eat when you're staying with the villagers? Oh, so like, I mean, they're, I stay with a tribe, they're called the Dani, D-A-N-I, and uh, they're, they're predominantly farmers. Um, so, I mean, most, most of the Papuans that are um, up in the highlands, you know, are farmers in some capacity. So it's a lot of like, you know, sweet potatoes, which I love sweet potatoes, but whenever I um, get back, I'm always sick and tired of eating sweet potatoes because it's a lot of time what I eat there, but eat sweet potatoes, rice, noodles. Um, you get some chicken every once in a while. It's not like, you know, these giant fat chickens that we get the steak it's like a real stringy little guy you know um and um pig on occasion uh pigs are very are, are like a high commodity there and they're valued as a like a social status almost like the more pigs you have the richer you are in a way so um you you eat a pig um for like a, a special occasion um or something like that but you don't eat them like all the time so but um you, you typically eat a lot of like the normal stuff but it's all like you know rices and like that uh i think i ate sardines for like two weeks straight once that was bad um and cut lots of cup of noodles i like cup of noodles but uh, <laughs> i think i think the, the weirdest thing i've ate um voluntarily or involuntarily either way uh involuntary worries me but go ahead okay so voluntary uh i think the strangest thing i i had flying fox um and I won't do that again just because it's such a carrier of bad viruses. <laughs> You're the one that brought COVID. Yeah, yeah, right. Because it's funny, like, a and, you know, we laugh about that. But, like, um, do you remember um, when, uh, was it the, the Zika or whatever virus, the yeah, Zika, Zika came through? I was one of the first people to get Zika and <laughs> and um, that, that I thought of. But on that trip, I had eaten fruit bat. And I I came back home and I remember getting just super sick and like feverish. And I thought I brought back something from the fruit bat, um, which was terrible. But then I realized when I saw all these red spots start up on my feet and everything like that. And I was like, oh, okay, it's Zika, so I'm good. But um, <laughs> so I had fruit bat. Um, it was actually delicious. Um, and then uh, unintentionally, I ate dog, which I didn't really care for. Um just because uh, just the way it was prepared, I think. So I can't imagine dog is like a greasy, stringy kind of food. It can't be that good. It was real stringy, real stringy. When, when I had it, they had the gentleman that gave it to me had accidentally ran it over on his moped. 
the, that morning. And his wife told him to go out into the street and at least cook it so he didn't waste it. I was, so, I was just about to say, so it wasn't wasted. About 20 – oh, go ahead. Go ahead. She sent him to the airport to work because he worked as a porter. And she sent him to the airport to work with it as his lunch. And he offered it to me then. <laughs> it's, it's like punishment. You, you killed this. Now you have to eat it. So in probably yeah, 1999. The way they offered it to me, because I was with my good friend um, on that trip. And, um, and he was meeting. He met this gentleman he knew that had it. And they offered it to me because they thought it was funny. And I didn't understand what they were saying. And then they started saying that it was first... You know, they're like, oh, no, it's wild pig. And I'm like, no, it's not wild pig. I can tell what that is. It's not wild pig. It's like, oh, it's chicken. I'm like, no, it's not chicken. They're like, oh, it's a cassowary. I'm like, it's not a cassowary. It's not poultry. Quit lying. They're like, oh, it's human. And I'm like, it's not human. They're like, and I'm like, it's dog, isn't it? And they said, yeah, it's dog. And I was like, oh, okay. So they thought it was funny. I was, I ate a, a bunch of it, but, you know, like, whatever. We, uh. Back in, I think it was like 99, I went on a hunting trip in deep South Texas and a bunch of the guys I was with wanted to go across the border into uh, Nuevo Laredo, which back when you could do that without getting murdered. Yeah, and right. uh, the wait to get back was like two hours at the International Bridge. Well, the taxi driver was like, I know a faster way. Oh, shit. I'm like, I'm not swimming, bro. So yeah. he's like, no, I'm going to take you to the other crossing on the other end of town. He spoke really good English. So he's like flying. Have you ever ridden in a third world taxi? It's like, oh, yeah. we rode in one yeah. in San Francisco. It was pretty similar. Yeah. So he's like going down <laughs> alleyways car. at like 60 miles an hour and there's barely enough room to clear the mirrors. Oh yeah. And this freaking skinny dog runs out in front of us and he rolls it. Boom, 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 boom. You hear it, feel it go under. And I'm like, Hey man, you just hit that dog. He goes, that's okay. It'll be a taco tomorrow. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh shit. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> remind me not to eat tacos when I'm down here. That uh, has stuck with it. me for 20 something years. Yep. <clears throat> so well, it was stringy. I'm sure it's been better, but it was uh, real stringy and dry. So maybe she was just a bad cook. It probably was. <laughs> I mean, it's still dog. I don't. <laughs> yeah. No. So, so have I, you eaten cassowary? Uh, I have not. I've not eaten cassowary. Um, I certainly, you know, would if it was offered to me in a scenario where I was in a, a traditional set. I wouldn't go to like. A restaurant and eat it because that would be like just you know wrong in my opinion um but uh yeah i've never never had that i've never eaten human um how close are you to areas in that area where historically if they don't still do it historically they oh, eat yeah. humans oh I'm, I'm like in right in the the backyard um uh, I, I had dinner with um uh, a guy from um, a region who's a who's from a, a tribe called angrook and uh uh, they were historically uh, cannibals, so I had dinner with him. He's actually in the book. You can see a photo of him. It's called Dinner with a Cannibal. Um, and uh, but uh, and I've met people that have eaten human before in the past. Um, there's reports of it still going on. I, I don't know if it really is. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure they're killing people still, like far out, you know, from different villages and stuff. But I don't think anybody's really eating it anymore. Um, I think I think the last recorded ones were like in the late '60s. I think. Just feel like you should go over there with a sign that says, I've got worms. Just Yeah, right. <laughs> don't don't eat me. I have worms. Oh my gosh. Right. Oh man, that's just have you ever thought of like taking someone over there to like film the whole this whole process and what you do? Or would that just kind of ruin your friendship with some of them? Well, I I've I have taken people. Uh let's see, I took 
Um, I took one person once and I won't do that again. Um, and I, like you won't take that specific person again. Oh yeah. I won't take that. specific oh, okay. person. It, but, but it really kind of freaked me out because it was like, you know, it, it was kind of almost like a moment where I had to like, it was a come to Jesus moment for that person. I was like, Hey, this is, you know, this is the real deal, you know, where we're at. And it was just not, not what I wanted. I mean, we, had, we achieved the, the data I was looking for and documented a female and eggs and everything, which was fine. But the process involved of it was just not what I had, uh, what I wanted to, it was just too, too dangerous in my opinion, uh, to risk stuff like that. So, um, if I did, I mean, I get asked, I get asked by people all the time and it's, um, they've got like, you know, everyone's like, Oh, you know, I'm a mountain climber and all this stuff. I'm like, oh, that's great. I'm sure you can climb it and do all that stuff. But it's just, more, it's more than just being, um, physically able to do it. There's a lot of like psychological aspect of it too. And it's just, I, a lot of it is I'm, I've worked so hard to build a positive relationship with these few people that I work with that I'm terrified that if I brought the wrong person or a scenario would present itself, that it would ruin my chances of continuing to do what I do. And I just can't risk that, you know? So I thought like Dave Coffin would good, be good, but then you've got this like six plus foot giant walking around. He's going to stick out like a sore thumb. I think he'd be a poor choice. Yeah. <laughs> and Dave's a great guy, but he's, he could be a little over the top. I'm yeah. sure. And- Licking their lips. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, he could feed us for That's a year. Like, Ari's right. little. He blends in. But yeah. Dave would be like, oh, see that guy. That's going to feed us for a year. We're good. Yeah. Yeah. They'd be, uh, yeah, they'd be looking. He, cause he's what, six or seven. He's like, he's my, he's got me six, five. Yeah. He's a little taller than yeah. you are. Yeah. 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 He'd be, he'd, they'd be, they'd be smiling and uh, licking their lips. No, I'm just joking. They wouldn't do that. He'd be fun. <laughs> yeah. He'd be the biggest person in Indonesia. <laughs> probably, he'd probably make yeah. a great video. <laughs> Oh, so let's get, okay. That's, that's the bowling. As, as much as as cool as it is. And there's a lot more questions. I'll try to come up with, but let's, let's shoot to the zoo. Cause I've, I've got a zoo background. Katie's got a zoo background and I'm very, I'm always I've interested. Been to a zoo. You've been to a zoo. That's true. Um, I feel always, like I live in a zoo sometimes. <laughs> I'm always interested in, uh, how setups are. Cause when I go to a zoo, I'm different looking at setups than other people. Like I'll be like, look at the pretty animal. And I'm thinking, all right, well, how does the keeper get in there? How hard is this thing to clean? Yeah. Uh, like, with, and all the different things that go into it. Where's the drain for the pool? Where's the drain? Drain for the pool is always <laughs> our big one. I'm like, I've gone yeah. places where there's not a drain. I'm like, who the fuck designed this thing? There's no drain. Oh. <laughs> they got to throw a pump in there and pump it out. The casino where I actually, so I, I, I proposed to Katie at a casino because they had like a, a alligator a huge exhibit. atrium. It's a huge atrium with like a lot of, uh, like three or four foot alligators. Absolutely gorgeous. Massive. There's no fucking drain in oh, the yeah. entire thing. That's so not got, cool. No. They got to go in there with a submersible pump. They have to go in and pump it all out, yeah. and all the and then scoot the water all to one. It's he actually talked to the guy that like cleans it and runs it one day, and he was like, "This is hell. Why?" Yeah. Well, <laughs> and they asked my director at the time, like when they were building it, and he gave them advice, and they took none of it. And I'm like, <laughs> that's what she, y'all get what you deserve. But when they first set it up, they put fish in it, and they all died. I'm like, well, that's because this is not an aquarium. This is right. a giant pool, and alligators will do fine, but fish are not really made for this, right? Because it's only like. I don't know, two foot deep across the whole oh, thing. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, they have small, they have a, a deal with one of the alligator parks and they'll exchange them they out. They exchange them out it's for small. It's no crocodile encounter. It's no crocodile encounter. Oh, no. That place is amazing. But yeah, I, that's so when I saw that, I was like, who the fuck designed something without a drain in it? So it's had to be fun going from just a blank slate to designing because you've got ideas for what animals you want and how you want it to be set up from the get go. You're not having to walk into a pre done building and go, all right, how can we design this to fit this animal? 
Yeah, we built it from a dirt lot uh, to where it's at now. And so, like, I had been, like, I had been over at uh, the Fort Worth Zoo. I'd been working in the herp department there for about 12 years. And um, I had been, uh, you know, very good friends with Quetzal for a long time. Like, we traveled to, you know... We traveled around the world together and stuff like that, and we actually run, ran into each other in, in Indonesia one time. It was pretty funny, um, just like out of the blue, and uh, <laughs> with and um, so we so I got to utilize a lot of the the ideas from like what a working facility, like zoological facility, and how to relate it in a like even more of a user friendly environment. Like because folks that the- haven't been to Fort Worth, that that setup is an amazing reptile house. Yeah, we. I, I was fortunate enough. I I worked um, for about a couple months in the original herp before it was torn down. So it was cool to work like in that historical building with you know all those incredible people that had been that had started there. And then I got to basically help during construction of the new building, the Mola, uh, which was very cool um, and kind of like. I, I remembered everything that I learned from, you know, doing that or helping with that, I should say, because they had a really cool team there that I kind of just like bothered forever um, to utilize to Reptilandia um, out here in Texas. So um, we wanted something that was going to be practical and um, user friendly for staff, um, as well as something that was going to be visually beautiful uh, stunning and the education aspect would be just endless. That's what we wanted. We wanted to create a, um, a destination, essentially every kid's dream. That's what we wanted to make. So here's my weird question. Why the location? It just seems so far away from a lot of the bigger cities. Was there a reason for that? Johnson city is becoming like the new hub of the hill country. It is, it, you know, we're so like Johnson city is fantastic. Like we, my, my fiance and I have been here uh, for about three years now. So we've been working on the project for coming up. I think, yeah, this last month was our three years here. So that was the start of the construction, but you know, Johnson city's great. And we're so like located in a really cool place. Like we're an hour outside of San Antonio. We're an hour outside of Austin, you know, we're three hours from DFW um, and the legality issues in Texas are very easy to work with, especially with what we're doing. Um, and especially in the future too, just with how the industry and, and, you know, the world for that matter is, you know, evolving. So, um, that was the biggest thing as far as Texas being, you know, like it's, you know, coming, you know, we'll do whatever we want kind of scenario is in Texas, but we were like, stay you know, far away from Florida. Yeah. It's, it's a, it, you know, it's like, you know, Oh, you're going to kind of take, take this from me. This is Texas, you know, kind of stuff, you know? So, um, but just, uh, uh, legally it's, it's a, it's, it's a safer place for us, um, uh, to do this and, and, and create something for everybody. I'm just, how big of a facility are y'all? Well, I guess land wise. And then what you've actually built on. Yeah. So, so the, the, the property we're on is 12 acres. Um, and the facility itself is close to 60,000 square feet. Um, we have a uh, our first main building uh, holds four um, temporary holding rooms, uh, like quarantine rooms, and then like off exhibit backup, you know, project rooms and stuff like that. Uh, so we have four of those, and we have um, our large gift shop area in there. We also have an ethnographics museum in the first building too that 
covers like tribal art from around the world that is all particular to you know reptile related cultures and beliefs and things like that so it's really cool um we also have like some preserved specimen things for like herpetoculture and her or herpetology rather uh and then we have a a, a two-story tropical building um and all of our and then a uh a one level uh temperate building and all of our exhibits are all um how do you say it? like the bioactive setups and they're all uh, multi multi mixed species. So there's not just one animal on each exhibit. There's going to be multiple animals from that region. So they're all endemic together. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I, I like mixed species exhibits big where you go and you can look at the whole thing and see something different every time you go and look at it. Exactly. Uh, and, and we're also seeing a lot of really interesting behavior with, you know, the, the, the animals that are in, in the enclosures together because they're all from the same environment too. So like we're seeing a lot of, you know, interesting, you know, little quarks we wouldn't necessarily see. And we're also seeing a lot of behavior from these animals that we wouldn't see because we're offering really large enclosures. Like our enclosures are, are huge. To give you an example, our, our croc monitor enclosure, I was going to have soft shell turtles in it also, uh, Draco lizards in it. Uh, we have a, a waterfall in it. it. It measures 30 feet by 60 feet. Oh, damn. Um, it's, it's gigantic in the bottom of it is all water. Um, so it's, it, our exhibits are really, really large. Uh, so it gives us an option to being able to let the animals do what they do naturally, um, as well as incorporate other species into the exhibit as well without having any problem. So on something like that, so it's croc monitors and then you're going to have smaller lizards. What is the, the fear of the croc monitor taking the smaller lizards? So like that initially was one of our ideas or our, 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 you know, our thoughts, obviously, because we don't want anybody, you know, getting eaten in an enclosure. But just with the size of the exhibit we have, um, with the 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 places for the small Draco lizards to hide, um, and then just the fact that you know they're not, you know, Salvadori, the, the crocodile monitors aren't really, you know, designed particularly to be feeding, you know, to actively waste that kind of, in my opinion, rather waste that energy on a, a really small, fast lizard when they'd want to exert that energy for something like a prey item that they'd recognize like a bird or a rodent or something like that, or, or a larger lizard for that matter. So we're hoping we're going to kind of hope for that and see what happens. You know, obviously um, we've moved some things around just because they, you know, didn't do well together, but overall we've had nothing but great success with what we've started so far. Have you seen any of the behavior? I'm very interested in the Draco lizards. Have you seen any of the, the flying behavior in there because it's such a large area? Well, so our, our, uh, croc monitor enclosure is still in construction because that's in our two-story building still. Um, so we haven't put, uh, we've got our croc monitors on, on hand on site we've had, uh, but we don't have our Dracos yet because the theory with the Dracos in our mind is we want to bring them in right away and put them right in the enclosure to eliminate any kind of unnecessary quarantining stress. We just want them to quarantine when they go right on, especially for something so small. Um, so we don't have, we haven't been able to get to see the behavior, yet, which we're really hoping to see, but but I've worked with them before in the past and they do, it's, it's really interesting how they kind of just like jump really fast to the next tree, tree trunk and then hug it and wrap around the other side. So that'd be cool. What, so of all these exhibits, what is the one you're like the most proud of? You can't wait to see all set up and done. And there's gotta be like a favorite in there, right? Oh, well we have so many really incredible ones. So our, our temperate building is complete is hundred percent completed. Um, so in that, in that building, we have a really large European exhibit with mixed species and aquatic turtles. We've got, um, a large, uh, Floridian mangrove swamp with big Eastern rattlesnake or Eastern diamondbacks and diamondback terrapins and Haitian curly tails and rat snakes and things like that. We've got our mang vipers that are in that building as well. 
Uh, we've got our bull and eye enclosure in there too. We've got a wet Madagascar exhibit with a bunch of different neat zonosaur lizards and small diving skinks, things like that. And, um, uh, a, mat, a dry Madagascar. We've got timber rattlesnake or cane breaks. I'm sorry. Um, uh, blacktail rattlesnakes in our temperate building. We, uh, our, our Ethiopian mountain vipers, the parviocula are in there as well. Um, we've just got some really, really exciting, uh, exhibits in there. And then on the tropical building, like we have a, an entryway fly river turtle enclosure. That's 60 feet tall. It's, it goes from the floor all the way to the top ceiling. Oh, wow. And then it's, I'd say it's close to about 20 feet wide and um, it's just stunning. So obviously that's going to be really, really cool to see finished. And then also modern enclosure too, but it's just, we have, we have a lot of really cool enclosures that are, are just going to be amazing to see done. Yeah. I foresee a reptile gumbo podcast field trip. Yes. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. I love a good road trip. Oh, you'll love that area out there too. It's nothing but vineyards and now a rep, now a yeah. uh, reptile zoo. Sweet. Exactly. Yeah, I still can't get at vineyards and the, the breweries and all that stuff. It's just like they're they're literally hundreds of them. It's uh, a yeah. crazy, it's a cool place. And Fredericksburg's out there also, which is a really right. neat place to. And then the LBJ National Grasslands are there too, yep. which is Johnson City. It's cool. You know, that's um, a awesome place to go visit. That whole yep. and if you like peaches, there's like peach orchards and peach people selling peach everything. I wonder and, if they're as yep. good as Chilton County peaches. So a lot of times when I would come home from <laughs> Junction, because I hate I ten so much, I would mm-hmm. go up and go through Fredericksburg and then go through and skirt the south of Austin and then that nice. that way it took about an extra thirty minutes, but it was so much better than driving I ten yeah. on a Sunday. Oh yeah, yeah, it, it's a nice drive too. It's like you know, and, and you and you can you know. I've seen coach whips cruising around Emery's rat snakes and stuff like that creeping mm-hmm. around here. Cool. It's a nice, it's a really nice area. And, and I think it's really going to, uh, well too, like with what we're trying to do. I mean, everybody here is so excited and we're just, we're just excited to open up, get this thing going. Do you have any plans for crocodilians? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. So we're, um, we currently have, uh, an enclosure set up for the osteolamus. So the African dwarf crocodiles, we're going to be doing um, African dwarf crocs inside a tropical building. And then as we open, probably we will eventually do a, an expansion where we're going to put in like an outdoor um, uh, large croc pool. Uh, so I'd like to have like a big salty or a big homistema uh, you know, or something like that out there. Um, it, but that'll probably be in a couple of years. I, I'd like to, once we're open, I put in a symposium hall. So that way we can start hosting events um, in that thing and stuff like that, right at the facility. Um, so those are the plans. She gets some Chinese alligators. Those are my favorite. That's we went to <laughs> crocodile yeah. counter and they, they had a Chinese ton alligator. of Chinese alligators. Yes. Like they're so like, it's because like we were wanting to do Chinese alligators over the osteolamus. Uh, and it just worked out where the osteolamus seemed, seemed to be the avenue we're going to head. You know, I already started designing enclosures with Osceolamus in mind. So if that doesn't work out, we're definitely going to try to see if we can procure some uh, Chinese alligators from an institution uh, because they're super. We know a place. I, I, know, I know a guy. He's going <laughs> to have yep. a surplus of them. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we already spoke. <laughs> um, with, with all that space, there's got to be a lot of cool outdoor stuff. I mean, I know it gets a little cooler in the winter there, but uh, there's yeah. a lot of outdoor stuff like tortoise-wise I'm sure you could do, and then crocodilians, maybe some large lizard cages yeah. outside. Yeah, so we, we, we definitely want to utilize uh, like a lot of this environment that we're in. I mean, we've got 
great environment for a lot of the desert species and just like the really like stuff that really likes to bass caught. So like a lot of varanids and stuff. So, you know, we're talking about doing um, some outdoor enclosures as well. Definitely. We're going to have our, our, we have a tortoise yard plan for um, I think we wanting to plops um, if we can do those um, and do it a, a nice tortoise yard out there. It's just, you know, I, I'm still terrified of the, you know, the cold, the breezes out here. So it's like, you know, we're trying to double check and triple check everything um, before, you know, pushing, pushing to do some outdoor stuff be cool to do like a big outdoor pin of like um how my brain just going what's the lizard that's like a bearded dragon but it's not a bearded dragon in america nope chuck wallace chuck wallace chuck wallace yeah oh i got it right i know what i was thinking a big a big outdoor (laughs) chuck wallace exhibit would be a big moment for me (laughs) chuck wallace already and i have a small group of desert iguanas too that will be for an exhibit Oh, that's gonna be cool. I, I've I've grown. I don't. So I'm I'm lazy. That's why I own mostly snakes and not lizards. But I've grown to really like Chuck Wallace, and I'm amazed that like they're just not bigger in the hobby. I can't I can't figure out why they they seem so much cooler than a bearded dragon. But yeah, uh, I I love the idea of just a big communal exhibit with like these things that run and hide in rocks, come out of rocks and bask. It would just be so cool to see. Yeah, they're you know I think what it is I think they're you know the the Chuck Walls that I have worked with just. I don't know, like bearded dragons have just like such a different personality, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe also that they've been bred just so much that it's just kind of like now they're just like evolved to be just potatoes, you know? Um, but um, yeah, truck walls are definitely interesting. I think one of the things is a lot of people just don't get them hot enough. They, I, I've got, you know, um, big, uh, giant, like 80 gallon or 100 gallon black tr- rubber tr- trough have and i set them all up outside and i i leave them outside and i and on top of that i put like heating elements on top of like rocks too so i get them really hot um and uh and they seem to be fine but they're they're a very cool lizard they're they're really neat it's like uh they're like a big uh childhood uh nostalgia for me because i remember because growing up in arizona like i remember as a kid going in the desert for you know days it felt like you know catching desert iguanas and collared lizards and chuckawallas and seeing all that cool stuff yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I, I can't wait to come out there. It's I saw, like, I saw some videos, and I saw the exhibit where you had all the art, which was really neat because it's not just yeah. a zoo. You've got all the different, like, the tribal mask and all the different carvings, and that kind of stuff is really cool, too. Yeah, it's, you know, like, I wanted it to be, I wanted it to be something special. And, and you know, like, um, I've always been impressed with the Chiricahua Desert Museum with Bob uh, and Sherry Ashley. Um, and if you have not been there, I, I highly recommend going. It's, it's, it's a very special place and it's kind of like how I envisioned a lot of, uh, my, the museum aspect of it too, because they have a really fantastic, like historical reptile museum in there with just really incredible pieces of art and just, you know, things from history, you know, like Caulfield stuff and old Herper stuff like that. I think they've got Joseph Laszlo's snake hook on exhibit and stuff, cool stuff like that, you know? And so like, um, I wanted to do that, but on a different aspect with, you know, cause like I'm an artist and I love collecting tribal art, especially, and obviously New Guinea's in my heart. So I'm always collecting New Guinea art. So like a lot of that stuff has crocodile, lizard, snake motif incorporated in it. And, and I can, you know, show that to people. So if they're afraid of a snake and stuff like that, they can come in and they can look at the art, you know, um, it just, you know, kind of gives it just another little flair to have. It's a, it's a place for someone's mom or grandma to sit while everybody else goes and walks around and look at the reptiles. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's in the, well, the whole facility is air conditioned. So that's all in there. So that's, that's a huge thing in Texas. Eh? No yeah. Oh, yeah. You can pull a crowd just yeah. by having air conditioning. 
yeah, you, exactly. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're the AC. You got to have it. You have to have it out here. It's just so hot. So, how big of a staff are you talking about running this place? So initially, so the way we're doing it right now with uh, with how I work with Quetzal and everything is, um, he comes out every other month or every three weeks um, out from the Costa Rica facility out here, and it's myself and my fiance currently maintaining the collection. And uh, then I do a lot of the rock work um, or I do all the rock work and the, the tree work and all that stuff, too. So when we when we open, we're going to bring on another animal staff member um, and we just want to have like a really kind of like close knit family group that's running this. So we're all basically, you know, in each other's mind to an extent, you know, uh, with what we want to do. Um, and, you know, eventually we'll probably, you know, grab a couple more people to help out, too, as we start expanding with certain things. But, you know, we'll just have, you know, cashier and then, you know, a gift shop person, somebody that's kind of like walk around, make sure people don't take my shit. <laughs> always important. Always yes. important. Oh, yeah. Holding on to your shit is important. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh my uh, so projected opening date for everything. What do you think it is? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I'll be honest with you guys. Like we we've we've you know, jumped forward, you know, back and forward on, on, on dates and stuff like that, just with the construction delays and everything. I'm, you know, realistically we could, you know, I'm hoping to have, I'm hoping we could open, you know, I don't even know. I'm trying to think in a few months, I would say realistically. Oh, that's cool. That's not bad. Yeah. At least to be like a, a soft opening, you know, um, to do that and then do like the big grand, you know, bazang, you know, thing like that. Has the area been very accepting of the whole idea, the, you know, oh. local businesses and all that? Yeah, it's, it's really surprising to me because, you know, obviously we're in the hill country, you know, we've, you know, we've got a lot of hillbillies out here too, you know, and, uh, you know, not everybody likes snakes, you know, but everybody's super excited about it because it's something else to do. And it's, you know, and, and like a lot of the people that, you know, come out, like we've given like a couple of private, like sneak little tours. Like mm. I had some, you know, some neighbors that came over and I was like, Hey, this is what we're doing. And they're just like absolutely blown away when they come in. They're like, are you kidding me? And I'm like, no, I mean, everybody's like blown away when they walk in because of the size of the facility and what we're doing has not been done before to this point. So, and then we've got also like, you know, natural skylights for all of our enclosures. We've got UV transmittable, um, plexiglass that's going in all of our units so we have natural skylight access for everything as well as supplemental heat too so but yeah like the post office like super excited everybody in town's excited i, I just want to open <laughs> I, I, i'm i imagine you're excited just to get people in the door oh i'll be excited the, the day i can you know you know cl- flip the sign where it says closed i'm going to be crying you know it'll be great uh. all right so i want to go to the question that we asked this week and again we this get- was hard for me well, we can talk about that. So, yeah. Let, yeah, let's talk. So, I said, what does the word herpticulture mean to you? And we got one big response. It's from our, our normal sit-in co-host, uh, Megan. I'll go ahead and read her response. It's a, it's a book here, so let me get through Megan's. Uh, but she said, this is a great question and the one that I've actually not given much thought to. I feel like there's three different types of herp people. The ones who are in it for the money, the flippers, the people who are looking for the next uh, thrill and want to be edgy. Uh The casual keeper, they have a lizard, maybe a snake or two, but they don't participate in anything beyond that. And then you have everyone else, the breeders, the keepers, the the, us, the the double-digit conservationist, uh, the podcasters, the herpers, the people that are part of, uh, you know, the the whole culture there. Um, And she says, the internet definition of herpticulture is the keeping of live reptiles and amphibians in captivity. But these people are herpticulture encapsulated. There's U.S. ARC members, there's educators, they're wildly passionate about these animals, not just as pets. 
but as vital members of the animal kingdom whose existence is so very necessary to our planet. They're working to foster curiosity in the next generation of zookeepers, wildlife biologists, and enthusiasts. Herpticulture is so much more than just keeping reptiles and amphibians. It's working to make the hobby better in every way and bringing people together over a shared passion. And it's funny, there were I had a couple other responses that were very much, much shorter. They were simply, uh, one person said, everything reptile. And the other <laughs> person said, keeping and breeding reptiles. Which I guess, on the surface, they're not wrong. Yeah. But I'm I'm more with Megan here. I think when I think herpticulture, it's the whole thing. Like your facility is part of herpticulture. Uh, all the yeah. different again podcasts and and Dave Kaufman, all the different YouTube. But that's that's part of herpticulture. It's it's a community yeah. to me. Those uh, those YouTube influencers are are certainly part of herpticulture. You know, it's like it's I like I agree with you. I think it, it encompasses everything. Um, I mean, and then you, I mean, you could, uh, you know, go into like, you know, obviously the breeders and stuff like that. But I mean, if if you've got a person that's got a leopard gecko and a person that's got, you know, a, a sulcata tortoise, I still I still consider them herpiculturists, you know, because they, you know, they, they keep reptiles. They're they're learning about it hopefully, and they're studying them hopefully and stuff like that too. So, see, and I think that's why the question was so difficult for me because it's such a broad response. It is there for us. Is so much that could be included under that umbrella. That I didn't know where to start or what to even discuss because, like, our daughter has a fat tail gecko and yeah. she watches YouTube videos and she reads books on animals and she talks to you and she talks to other vendors when we go to shows and and she has intelligent conversations with someone. Robert's same son Robert's is son. the same way mm-hmm. with when it comes to genetics and things like that. And so to me, they both fall under that umbrella, even though they're only 11 and 12 years old. Um, you know, with that being said, I'm not necessarily raising because they're not my children, but my third graders in my classroom are becoming herpticulturists because we have those class pets. You're about to start a reptile zoo at your school. Yeah. <clears throat> you're going to be creating a new generation of herpticulturists. And so I, I felt like the question was so broad that I didn't, I didn't really know how to answer it. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, 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 I agree though, but I mean, it sounds like you guys are raising up some little herpticulturists. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like, and like you said, the person that owns a leopard gecko, that, that's part of herpticulture because that person who owns that lizard is going to love that lizard. And they're going to tell yeah. other people about that lizard and how great that lizard is. And they may change the mind of one or two other people when it comes to reptiles in general. I yeah. And I, you know, I guess also like the term herpticulturist, I don't, I guess it doesn't necessarily have to mean you're reproducing. I think it's the fact of the enjoyment, the observation, and the care involved with working with the animal as well as. You know, also encompassing the environment, you know, everything about that animal, you know, like where it lives. That's that's herpiculture, in my opinion, too. So um, I think it doesn't necessarily have to. I think it could be a very large blanketed term to define it. Um, and then, I mean, you could also say, you know, a hobbyist. But, I mean, is a hobbyist a herpiculturist? I think so. I also think that it also falls back on how educated you are. Megan, our, our filling co-host that we have, she does educational programs. She actually has one coming up at her local neighborhood community center on June 12th. And she has people that, that are terrified of reptiles, but they come out to her talks to learn more about them. And in my opinion, those people also fall they become into, part of it. They become part yeah. of the culture because they are, learning about it like i've had two i had two students this year whose families bought reptiles 
because of the reptiles in our classroom. That's cool. Like the parents messaged me and they were like, hey, this is all we ever hear about. I did some research. This is what we're going to get. What are your thoughts? And I'm like, I think that's an awesome idea. Like if that's what you want for your family pet, go for it. Yep. Great. Because like it, it's not just, you know, it, it's giving, it, it's instilling responsibility mm-hmm. in, these, in these children, which is great. And it's also inspiring, you know, new passions and new interests, which are these animals, you know, and you know, certainly by, you know, I would say that they definitely fall into that category of herpeticulture because that's what they're doing. You know, herpeticulture is certainly a culture, you know, because we are definitely interesting people. So, it's you know. Definitely. <laughs> for, for some than others. But, um, but yeah, you know, and then it's exciting, especially with, you know, interacting with, you know, kids and young adults, uh, especially right now with, you know, what we love doing is so important just because with how things potentially and probably will potentially change in the future, just with, you know, the legality of what we enjoy doing so much. Um, and, and so that's important for, you know, children and like I said, and young adults to, to understand, you know, this is what we love. So we need to fight for this, you know, um, because so that way, uh, it, it's around, you know, it's around for us to enjoy. Well, and and with any culture or any group, there are highs and lows. You know, we go back to the YouTube. There are some that I talk about on a regular basis because I feel wholeheartedly they are a positive influence on the culture. And there are some that we don't mention their names because they are 100% a negative. Inf- and even, I say 100%. There have been people brought into the hobby because of them and then have changed their direction and become better. And realize that they are not the one to follow. Yep. So I guess that is a positive, but I always fear that there's more negative than positive when it comes to some of those people. You know, and, and unfortunately, that's just, you know, that's the reality. Um, I do really, uh, I like Kaufman's stuff uh, that he's been putting out, especially with just the natural history aspect of things, because I think it's such a lost, um, a lost focus um, with so many, you know, with so many people just with reptiles in general, you know what I mean? And, and that's kind of like how I inc- tried to incorporate that in with the new facility with the ethnographics museum, because it's just like, you know, reptiles are part of culture, you know, they're part of, you know, they're part of life with these people. So I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed, uh, what he was, you know, his stuff with his, you know, his natural history aspects. And I think he's definitely a, a, a positive influence in the, in the herp community as far as YouTube go. And it's cause it can be such a powerful tool, you know, that's the thing. Um, but also it can be really terrible. <laughs> well, and Dave, just watching some the new video he put out is kind of a, a pre-video to all the stuff that's coming from what he did over there in Africa. But I mean, he did some really cool things. He went to a, a temple that's shaped like a chameleon, and he got yeah, I saw to, that was cool. Yeah, and he got to sit through like an actual uh, my brain is blank on the word I'm looking for, but ceremony, like a ceremony going on inside that temple. Um, that's cool stuff that you just don't hear about or do everything he's going to do. Again, I shit on ball pythons, but I'm going to say this part is cool. Yeah. He's looking at the natural history. The people that own, the bulk of the people that own ball pythons will not know any of the stuff he's about to tell them about ball pythons. That's fact. Right. They, correct. One, they couldn't have told you a country that they come from, and he went to three of them. Yeah. Um, they couldn't have told That's you cool. what kind of area they live in, but he's done that. He went there and found them. He found baby savannah monitors hatching in the wild. He found yeah. ball pythons in the wild. That's... That's the kind of stuff that the the average person needs to see because we get so removed from nature. As much as we bring nature into our homes, there's a lot of people that get very removed from nature because they don't see it as nature. They just see it as a pet. Yep. And it's yep. fine. It's great. But there's so much more there. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And so that's that's one thing. Like one reason I love zoos and uh, a zoo that does does that kind of stuff. Great. I'm I'm all for that can can get someone to understand that 
this amazing thing exist in the wild. And I've always, as a zookeeper, I've, you know, and you know this, you hate PETA also. I, I despise PETA's idea of wanting to get rid of zoos because it's so yeah. horrible to keep whatever it is in a cage. But again, I, and I go back to like when I taught kids inner city, uh, that kid's never seen a lion. You can't ask that kid to give a shit about a lion until you put that lion in front of them with just a piece of glass between them and it. Yep. And that changes their their mind on that. Or you put a leopard gecko in a kid's hand or a corn snake in a kid's hand. And all of a sudden, yeah. it's real. And it's- yeah, it is. They, they gain the respect of that animal, you know, very quickly because it's a living creature that they're essentially, you know, in charge of. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, you know, it's interesting how, like, so much of, like, you know, we go back to the social media thing. It's interesting how so much of that plays a factor in, you know, what we do in our lives now, you know, or a lot of people do, uh, you know, just with, you know, reptiles in general, there's so many YouTubers that are out now and it's just, it's, it's hard finding, you know, good content that's out there, um, that, that really helps, helps what we're doing, um, for lack of a better term. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard because you live in a, a world where the person with the loudest voice becomes the expert. Exactly. Not the person Sold. with the most knowledge. I got yeah. this covered, guys. <laughs> the loudest. <laughs> that's true. You are loud. Um, but but I'm, I'm fairly educated. Yeah. I like to think. Well, that's all I'm looking forward to. So I'm, op- <laughs> I'm opening up a. Uh, I'm hoping, I'm, we're going to, Robert's going to let me build a small reptile zoo at my high school. There's a room attached to my room that oh. has windows facing the hallway, and the kids will be able to walk by, and it'll be zoo quality setup. And I'm going to start a club where I have kids come up to school and they will help take care of it. My goal, though, is not just like this is how you feed in water. I want them to understand why are we using UV lights? What does it do? I want them to understand awesome. where does this animal come from? You know, we're going to try and grow some of the feeder insects for them just so they can understand the whole process of that and making the food for these animals. Maybe I can get some from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, and so I'm looking, I'm looking forward to being able to share that with them so it's not just uh, – because right now I come in with like my corn snakes when I do genetics and I come in with a few things when I do classification and it's cool to yeah. see it and then I leave. But this is going to be something they'll see on a regular basis. They'll be to see some behavior when they're coming by, walking by the windows every day. So I'm looking forward to that. Cool. That's exciting. That'll be, uh, that'll be fun. I'd like to follow up on that. Yeah. I, I've, I've reached out to, to Zach. I'm going to get him to, to send me a bunch of paperwork on how he does it with his students. And then I'm going to water it down for high school kids. Very cool. Um, but so let's let's see. Let's and then I need to drop it down even more for third grade. For third graders, yeah. Yeah, I think my my administration wants me to have a zoology club. We only had two clubs really last year at school because we were finally a our school's only three years old, but because of COVID, we were finally able to start doing things again. And so I need to I gotta figure this out. All right, so some of the things I saw, I'm going to go over some of the things I saw this week uh, online. It was a very interesting week online. <laughs> One before I just got on, on here, um, we, we go back to the herpticulture part. Uh, we are a, a vast group of people with people always coming into the hobby and leaving the hobby. Um, so there's a very uh, wide variety of people's knowledge or how to behave in the hobby or certain things. And I saw one right before I came on. Someone started, they ordered some rodents from a cold-blooded cafe. I just saw that. You saw that. So, uh, and we know this was a long weekend. Things happen. Shit happens. They got them in today. They were all thawed out. They were 75 degrees, whatever. They thought they were bad. He messaged them apparently and then went, well, it looks like straight to Facebook to start bashing the company before giving them a chance to fix the situation, which I know 100% they would. That that, oh, yeah. that business yeah. is owned by. Yeah, I saw. It's funny you should say that. I saw that just a little bit ago and I was. 
I was just like blown away because uh, Stephen and Desiree, uh, they're I consider them. I mean, they're they're coming to my wedding. They're they're I consider them good friends, um, and they are some of the best business people I have ever met. Like, and I'm thinking to myself, man, why you gotta? Why do you got to cause all this drama here? Why don't you just reach out and let them know what's going on? I'm sh- I, I guarantee you 150 bucks that they're going to reship your stuff out for you. No problem. You know, stuff happens, you know? Well, what got me is they, they posted it in like the Southeast Carpet Fest. I'm like, all right, so now you're going to post it into a group of people that, that know Desiree. Yeah. Uh, she, she, that, are, fo- that are friends. That are friends. Or acquaintances. And, and Forrest, <laughs> her, her, her husband that unfortunately passed away. Our boy, yep. boyfriend, the husband. Anyways. Uh, yeah, it was husband. yeah, husband. So Forrest, who unfortunately passed away, uh, and everybody knows them, and they know that business, and that business is well known in the hobby as being a very high quality business. And here's the there thing: are- even if you're not close friends, you are familiar with them. You are familiar with their business, and like you said, we're a very interesting culture of people, and we're gonna take care of our own, and we're gonna stick up for our own. Of course. And so I just fucking take it. Yeah, people take a, a breath. Little, a little uh, ridiculous. I put the. I, I thought what would bother me the most was it seemed like they had gone to post the complaint on Facebook before they even received the response back. Mm-hmm. From the company. Yeah. That's exactly what James said. I was, I was cleaning and doing things around the house and he was like, you will never believe what just happened. And he was fussing yeah. from in here. And I was just like, Oh man, it's going to get ugly. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but people are people. That's just how it is. You know? Well, and that's, I mean, you know, it's, the, the culture, the group of people, the, the reptile community, although it may seem large, we talk about it on a regular basis, it's a pretty small community when it yeah, really comes down everybody. to it. And so if you're going to sit there and badmouth them, it's not going to work out. I don't think that post went the way he expected, which I love those kinds of posts when <laughs> someone gets on there. Yeah. Huh? What group is yeah. this in? It was in uh, Southeast Carpet Fest. You're not in, yeah. in there. Um, but uh, I love when those posts happen when someone's like starts bitching and then everybody just goes, this is not going to go the way you planned. And then yeah. they pile on. But yeah, I, I just thought it was kind of silly. I, I, and I mean, and it looked like the person contacted them and they went ahead and they just said, oh, yeah, no problem. We'll refund it or we'll ship it out. So no problem. No problem right there. It's like, all right, cool. Yeah, that just uh, and, and Robert, I know you as a business owner, it drives you nuts when people do that. They go straight to Facebook to start. And look, I, I get it going. If a company does you wrong, I 100 percent get wanting to warn other people. But without have talking to the company, they haven't done you wrong yet. Like you've got like shit happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I bet that real feels pretty stupid now, you know, cause like, Oh, you know, maybe, or maybe they still feel validated. Like, you know, it's yeah, right. <laughs> they still feel like they were in the right. I don't know. It's crazy. Uh, Oh, this is a funny one. So <laughs> a friend of, uh, JT, who's normally in the chat, uh, sent us this one. It was from an Oklahoma identification group, a woman, <laughs> uh, she was, going to be moving into the country and she was trying to tell her family, her kids and her husband, how to ID venomous snakes. And you'll enjoy this. This is the rules that she gave her, her kids. Uh, triangle head equals bad. Mean face equals bad and comes at you equals bad. What the hell does mean face? I, I know. Mean? And then the good was, I mean, I have a mean face. I'm not bad. <laughs> well, and the good was round face equals good. Looks kind of cute and squishy. Happy equals good and runs away equals good. Super That's scientific. I, yeah. I, oh my gosh. It looks cute and squishy. You're fine. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, what? She's going to get bitten by a coral snake. Yeah. I was like, this coral snake is super cute. It's all yeah. colorful. Yeah. She's going to get hit by a car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just, that, that kind of stuff. 
I'm always amazed at at that, and that gets spread around, spreads around all the time. Like you always get the triangle head. I wish we could get rid of that. Like, and I remember as a kid being taught that, but then, but then you look at like a Nerodia who just gets scared and then it fluffs out their head. Yeah, I don't, uh, yeah. That's like this patternless copperhead that's going around, or white sided copperhead. If I have been <laughs> tagged in that once, I've been tagged in it two hundred times in the last two days, and I'm like, it was cool the first ten times, but now it's like, okay, yes, I've seen it. Thanks. <laughs> yeah have you seen it i have i've seen it how could you not see it i've seen it a million times i sent it to travis and just asked him what he thought he thinks it's leucistic it looks leucistic but it's solid white with black eyes the person who has it swears it's not leucistic it's but pretty, uh pretty interesting it, it was a, a wild collected animal right yeah in yeah. arkansas wow that's pretty impressive that it got so large without yeah. being off by anything it always blows my mind with wild you know different genetically you know, altered or whatever, the color variations, stuff like that. Well, that was like the uh, video, was it you sent or John sent? Yeah, you sent. Last week of the guy who found two uh, Aatrox sparring, and one of them was albino, adult male albino Aatrox in South Texas just made it. I saw me. that. That was pretty incredible. Yeah. You know, and our buddy that's... Nine Finger Sean found the albino uh, cottonmouth. cottonmouth, and we had another friend that found an albino cottonmouth. Like, that's... Wow. Uh, oh, there's another one. This is another one of those posts where someone made a post and it did not go the way they expected uh someone had a picture of two hog noses and said how it started and so they're mating and the next picture is them holding one hog nose with a pinky in its mouth while the other hog nose is attached to the other end of the pinky what and everybody's like why the fuck did you feed the two of them in the same and he's like oh well, you told me yeah. about like, this. Well, I, went to me feed- this. I was feeding the female they're hog noses yeah they go like this until they bite something they're <laughs> stupid yeah. every time i feed my hog nose i'm like how do you guys survive in the wild <laughs> yeah I mean, I'm giving you a froze, a thawed dead mouse, and you miss like 12 times before you get it. Yeah, the the comment section on that one was interesting. I, again, people, please don't feed your animals in the same enclosure. Like in a situation like that, it's it's different in a 30 foot by 60 foot zoo enclosure. Yeah, and a tub. Yeah, like that's even that though. You, you know, we uh, like even when I'm feeding uh, or like my fiance is like feeding, uh, like you know snakes or lizards or anything like that on exhibit where there's multiple animals in there that are large enough we're always wanting you you always want to watch yes. you know you always think you know things happen it's just how you know how it is you know it's uh, absolutely well and rather you, be there not be there well you know reptiles reptiles are one of those animals that and, and you can see people do this too when they get into food response nothing else matters for a short period of time until they get out of that response like exactly you know <laughs> My uh, Louisiana pine snake is like I've said it before. My Louisiana pine snake's amazing unless it smells food, and yeah. then it's wants to eat whatever moves near its that's face. Right. So that's my my that big adult male MBK. That's all MBK. You can get him out and do whatever, but man, you better not smell like a mouse. That's how my MBK is with James because yeah. James is the one that feeds it, and she's so spastic whenever he goes to feed. But then like I'll take her out, and she's totally chill, and it's hilarious. Yep. I, uh, hold on. I got to find, I'm trying to find the comment. I think the comment got removed from this one. It was the, <clears throat> the video from M toxins. Yeah, the, the comment got removed immediately. Ah, that sucks. <laughs> so yeah, M, was we've like, had M toxins. You don't on know here. what you're doing. <laughs> we had M toxins on here before and they were, they were milking, uh, I forget what it was. Obviously a venomous snake of some sort. <clears throat> and the first comment on there was they were upset cause they weren't doing it. Like, um, Oh, what's his name that used to inject himself in Florida. Bill Haas. Bill, yeah. yeah. They were upset that he, that's not the way he would do it. Yeah. You're right. It's not the way he would do it. This right. is the way you should probably do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I was like, you're referencing your information from 50 years ago. Yeah. Things have changed. Yeah. Uh, 
So I thought that was fun. Just it, hope the snake survives your milking is what he said. <laughs> like, do you know how many times they've milked that snake? Probably it toxins. Yeah. Oh, thousands. Yeah. So yeah, I just the, the internet is always an interesting place for uh, experts. Well, it's it's given oh, idiots a, a platform to be experts. To be experts, correct. Well, that's that's the other thing. Like, I just I don't know. I'm always amazed at the people that chime in on something like that, and they either have never kept it or they've kept it. Like, like say, Dave Kaufman's video is going to come out about ball pythons. Dave is there in yeah. Africa. And you're going to have people on there that disagree. trying to refute what he says. Yeah. 100%. And I'm like, but he's he's showing you that snake in a hole in the ground. Like, they, they do that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, they live on. You know, and that, that always gets me. You know, I also don't like when uh, people try to, base the like base keeping things off of one or two things they've like they've read in the wild or seen in the wild i'm like look i've read the samboa book i keep samboas and i know in the samboa book they talk about a a samboa that fell out of a tree with a bird i get it but it's not an arboreal snake right like it went up there and found food sure but i'm not putting a tree in with my sambo it doesn't need it no it's good so i'm just the, the internet experts uh there's another podcast. Oh, Travis posted a podcast that I have never actually heard of, but now I kind of want to. It's called This Podcast Will Kill You. <laughs> I've seen that. <laughs> have you? It's a, This one's about Venom. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll have to check it out. He posted it over on the discussion, on our <laughs> Facebook discussion group. I'll have to go read that one. But uh, I saw that. That looks interesting. Oh, I also posted a video over on there. Katie saw it the other night. With the chickens. Did you see that one, Robert? Holy mm-hmm. crap. I 100% believe chickens are related to dinosaurs after watching that. Yeah. I think that was I, like a kestrel or something. Yeah. So I 100% understand roosters being aggressive because I've dealt with that. I've I've been yeah. around it. The hens are always way more protective. Oh, I've never seen a yeah. hen go that's, fucking that's small, That small bird of prey like flew in to steal a chick, and that mother hen fucking killed it. It was ridiculous she attacked it and threw it around thrashed it oh, around and killed it i'm it was like crazy that's fucking insane so yeah I, I saw that i was like yeah that's a velociraptor i got it okay we're good <coughs> I, get, I get it that's a dinosaur absolutely crazy uh the other was travis post and I, I tried to read the article but it was it was very long and i've already told you i don't i a small attention span i can't read the picture was very interesting uh but it was a hog nose that was egg bound it was they had cut it open it was like a side view and you could see all the eggs in it but it reads a lot about the um uh basically overfeeding like uh we feed these animals so much and they build up fat reserves and in nature that doesn't work but the basic the basic thing i hear was that their body will begin to produce eggs because they're doing very well so that that season they should be able to produce a bunch of offspring and be fine uh, but the problem is they're not made to have a very good season every year all year right and uh so the snake produced way more eggs than it should have because it was overfed and it got egg bound and died and i mean it's a shit ton of eggs in a very small hog nose mm-hmm. wow um so that's another thing is just feeding feeding is a very we talk about it on a regular basis on here but that's another thing in the in the hobby where people just want to feed their stuff and feed yeah uh watch that's what i hear <laughs> yes Yes. What did he say? She said Varanids. Oh, yeah. Uh, that'll be another interesting thing in this video. If, uh, if Dave shows like adult Savannah monitors in the wild, they're not going to fucking look like adult Savannah monitors in North America. No. Yeah. Uh, in the hobby. Like, I mean, that's, that's one you see all the time. They're just so fat. Um, these are animals that are made to like run down things and, uh, they yeah. feed mostly off millipedes. Yeah. They're, they're insect eaters. I know they're a large part of their diet for such a large lizard. And I guess that's another thing. We we see an animal and we think 
we know exactly how that animal would live just based off of seeing it and knowing where it lives. But until you go there and look at it, you don't. And I'm sure you've seen that a lot with the Boland spider. I mean, because again, it's a 10 foot snake roaming the mountains of Indonesia. You know, your first thought would be, it must be eating these large mammals being that big, maybe big squirrels and stuff. But, uh, I know a lot of those species over that, especially on the island stuff feed a lot of times on birds. And it's a lot of times like once a year when things come through and then, well, you know, one dietary aspect, you know, the dietary aspect is an interesting topic too. It's particularly interesting for me as well, just because obviously you want to find out what they're feeding off of naturally. So, you know, I've got reports and, you know, and, and I've been able to, um, identify like, you know, you know, birds and stuff like that, that they've been feeding on, or sometimes they'll regurge one up and you can see, you know, for, you know, what the, what they ate. So, you know, birds and stuff like that, but they also do feed off of a, a large, a larger, I would say, um, mammal that's there. It's called couscous and it's like a, basically the size of an opossum, you would say. So they do feed off of those, but, but as far as frequency goes, n- nobody really knows, you know, as far as how frequently they're feeding. I mean, like you said, it could be once a month, it could be once a week, you know, once every three months for all we know, you know, it's, you know, it's, I, I don't, I've never seen one cruising around at night. So I don't know if they're, you know, taking advantage of, you know, just when something cruises by opportunistically or if they're actively out searching uh, for stuff like that. So it's, it's an interesting topic. Well, there's like uh, some Island boa species that only eat when birds migrate through and the rest of the year they don't eat, which is why they, they don't get huge. There's not a food re- right. supply there to get huge. Um, or like, with Louisiana pine snakes. Yes, I can feed my Louisiana pine snake a large rat, but that's not really what they eat in the wild. Well, the reason they can get five, six feet in the wild is because they're eating a large amount of food at a time. They're going in and they're emptying out an entire hole of moles and then living in that hole and digesting that food instead of eating a large squirrel. You know, they're not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So- I mean, wild snakes are, you know, so much different looking than captive animals too. Anyways, I mean, because they're, you know, nine out of 10 times they're cruising, you know, always, you know, they're yep. opportunities looking for the next meal you know it's it's you know feed you know breed and you know it's been hide and survive that's it so you know it's like we we mistake you know a lean looking snake as an animal that's unhealthy when in fact that could be just like you know the healthiest way to look at a lot of those things and be like you know a, a runner as opposed to you know somebody that's was that that dance dance game that they <laughs> bounce around on an arcade and stuff like that well and and we've talked about like with with that hognose uh fat in reptiles builds different than fat in humans. You know, we, we liked as a, as a, as a race, we like to compare everything to us. And again, most things yeah. don't work the same way we work and uh, we build fat and you look at somebody, they got a, a, a gut that fats on the outside of their organs. And then they got a big fat stomach. Whereas with snakes, that fat, if you see a chunky f- snake, that's fat that's wrapped around all of their organs on the inside. Cause yeah. they build up their fat on the inside. Mm-hmm. That's a really fat snake. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you see that, like, I've seen them with, like, blood pythons. Everybody goes, and, you know, if you see a healthy blood python, they don't typically look the way you see. Like, they're not a big, giant, fat roll. Um, or Burmese yeah. pythons or retics. I'll see that sometimes it shows. I'm like, oh, God, that yeah. looks so horrible. Well, that Doomerals yeah. that we have, when we got her, she was way overweight. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those things. They see a big snake, and people, that's impressive. I'm like, but but is it? Like, because yeah. feeding it's not that hard to do. You know? It's impressive that organs are able to function still with it being so <laughs> obese yeah she's it's impressive diet, she's been on a diet now for almost a year yeah and wow. you can see the difference but there's such a yeah. slow growing slow changing snake that it's taken a while to get the weight off of her yeah so feeding is just it's another thing in the hobby that people have got to get better at we we overfeed stuff um yeah. and being able to offer alternative prey items too is a new 
is, you know, is, is, is something to also consider too. And, and like, I mean, I feel like around forever, like, I mean, just with the, the crowd I'm, that I was, you know, growing up with as far as reptile wise, like, you know, alternate food sources were always something to talk about. So I feel like I'm hoping that I'm starting to see more of that too, as we progress forward, you know, as opposed to people just feeding snakes rats. I mean, they can also eat quail. They can also eat other things too, you know, and, you know, and also, you know, other snakes too, you know, offering that in their diet is a natural thing. So it's like, yeah. you know, it's important to offer those, you know, those kind of things. A lot of, you know, a lot of animals will only breed if they're given a certain type of food at a certain time of the year also, you know, so it's, um, uh, it, it can be really interesting and, and also beneficial for the animals, just longevity and health. I tried to order, uh, lately I've been ordering like small chicks and stuff for my corn snakes and like, uh, yeah. some of my colubrids. Cause I mean, that's what they're going to eat in the wild. They're definitely catching birds and stuff in the wild and raiding nests in the wild. Yeah. And it's a lot, it's, I mean, we, we utilize rodents a lot. I mean, 90, you know, uh, maybe not 90%, I'd say probably like 75% we use rodents and then the rest we use like alternate food sources like quail and things like that too, because you know, that stuff's, you know, it's leaner, it's healthier for them in the long run, you know, as opposed to eating, you know, rodents all the time. Um, not to say that, you know, you, you can't, but you know, just, you know, in the long run, it's healthier for the animals longevity and it's, it's health in general. Once I've seen people with hog noses feed like uh, boiled eggs, they'll boil an egg and they'll chop up pieces and feed boiled egg to hog noses. <laughs> they could also give them quail eggs. Yeah. Yeah. For quail eggs. It was funny because we had, uh, we have a big reservoir out on uh, one of the sides of our buildings that uh, catches all of our backwash water and then it shoots it back up to the back of the property in like this pond kind of area. And uh, we had like a 20 minute rain. I think it was last week. It's been so dry out and we had, a huge amount of uh, leopard frogs breed, and, and there was probably hundreds of you know quarter inch size little frogs and tadpoles. So I went through with a net, and I went out and I just started putting them inside some of our enclosures. Like we have a a, a, a tropical or not a tropical swamp, a North American swamp with like Nerodia and spotted turtles and all the you know map turtles and things like that. I tossed a bunch in there and everybody came out and just like gorged themselves on all those amphibians. And it was so good for everybody. Yeah. You know, except for the frogs, but <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, they were probably going to dry up outside when it, when, when the heat came up. So, you know, I wanted to utilize that. So, but like all the water snakes and the, even the turtles, the spotted turtles were eating them. It was great. That's awesome. Yeah. Because that's what they would do in the wild is, you know, if, yeah. if it had been dry and there was a rain, they're going to go seek those places. They know that water pools for the water and because they know big, that those tur those frogs are going to breed. Yeah. And I found a big ribbon snake in there, you know, it had like six of them down when I went in there and I was like, all right, you know, he was like freaking out. I was like, don't spit him up, man. I'm just coming by to get my share, you know, <laughs> so, but you're exactly right. You know, I mean, we definitely, I mean, and, and I mean, I feed mostly, mostly rodents. It's, it's just so much sure. easier. Uh, yeah, it is. But there's definitely some snakes that it's so much easier to, you can, the, the very diet is an easy thing to do. We talked about with uh, Zach because he does the um, false water cobras. And if yep. you do false water cobras or dry marcon, you can fucking feed them anything. Fillets of fish, yeah. uh, leg quarter, whatever you want to. They'll eat, they'll eat pretty much anything. And so why not, yep. if you've got an animal you know will take any of that stuff, just feed it to them. Yeah, I know. Um, I know a couple of private keepers that work with a lot of the Dromarcon species, and they use uh, in the Tias also, um, and uh, they use uh, like chicken necks and duck necks, and they'll feed those out because they're loaded full of calcium. They do them right before reproductive season, so they'll cycle them up with feeding lots of those like 
those foul necks because they're loaded full of so many good things and they just have you know wonderful clutches and the animals look even better too yeah and there's just certain things like so like so katie's bearded dragon we're bringing it home probably tomorrow the day after if it's still up at our school but we went up there today and i fed it a couple of pinky mice because every now and then uh actually actually over the last two years she's laid she giant, randomly lays eggs she lays a giant clutch of eggs and cool. it takes a lot off of her. I mean, she loses a lot of weight. It's terrifying. <laughs> and I told Katie, yeah. Katie's like, she looks so sick. I'm like, well, yeah, she's going to. We, you just got to feed her a ton of food and calcium. Yeah. So we gave her a couple of pinkies. That's going to give her some calcium, some fat. She got good and pissed at you after that, too. That was like the most I've seen from her personality-wise in like a week. <laughs> but she ate them. She did. Um, or like I've got a redfoot tortoise. And I know redfoots eat meat in the wild. So every now yeah. and then I toss a pinky in there. Although I, I do, too. All of the sulcata tries to I have to keep the sulcata from trying to eat it because they live in the same tortoise table. Anything. Yeah. yeah. eat dog shit, so I know they'll. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so those should guys. Be on, should be on the care sheet. <laughs> you can feed tortoise, child, lettuce, and piles of dog shit. Dog shit. Although then you have dogs that will eat sulcata shit. So it's really a circle. It's it's a, <laughs> it's a nice food web there. Um, oh, another thing. Nothing I saw. Okay, so I was kind of a jerk. I wasn't really a jerk. Okay, I was. Uh, a guy in what a boa. Are you not? A guy in a boa group posted, "How many grams should a red tail male be?" Oh, and Jesus. so my response simply was, "I'm betting you own ball pythons." <laughs> and uh, all he, all he responded with was, "You must be lonely." And I was like, "No, I'm good." <laughs> uh, I just, oh, anytime someone's like, "How many grams?" and they go to, a, I'm like, "Stop it! Stop it! Just, just does it look healthy? Does it look healthy?" Hey. You know, it's exciting to me to see a lot of younger kids involved in herpetoculture and like, and especially utilizing ball pythons is that, of that gateway, you know, kind of, you know, animal. And, and I, and I, you know, I like ball pythons. I think they're a fascinating snake. And I think it's absolutely incredible that they can be in every imaginable pattern and color you could possibly imagine, you know, come up with. And I think that's really appealing to a lot of younger um, younger kids and that they can make money on it too. So it helps them out. But, but it's, it's interesting because like the terminology that's utilized, it's, it, you know, something can only breed if it's so many grams versus or something else like that. So it's always, you know, I always try to take that time when I'm around younger kids that, you know, are into reptiles to explain to them that there's other, you know, there's other factors that are in it aside from how many grams the animal weighs, um, you know, as you know, for different things too. So. Yeah, I think people would be amazed at how small some reptiles are in the wild are when they're giving when they're laying eggs or giving birth. Like I think people would be amazed to see how small a corn snake will really mate at in the wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's I mean it's you know and and then a lot of times because the people ask me is like oh you know what's reproductively you know what's reproductively ready I'm like well it, it it's individually animal based in my opinion because you could uh, you could fit basically feed an animal a same diet and one could be larger than the other one could be smaller than the other so you know i, I think it basically individual based i mean obviously having a a guideline as a, you know okay you don't want to try to breed anything that's under so much you know so much weight because of the health of the animal but like you said you know you've seen small corn snakes reproduce and they've done perfectly healthy clutches that animal could be seven years old too yeah you know? that's the big difference i always take age into consideration along with size exactly and so that's when someone starts saying grams i'm like dude that one well, that comes from a that comes from a part of the herpes culture which i, I i'm not a fan of which is the yeah. fast turnaround you know yeah 
you could get a you could get a ball python up to probably breeding weight in two years, but it would not be a healthy animal. You know, it's yeah. like, um, but yeah, that's it. That, that that's the the downside of a lot of the hobby too, in my opinion. Yeah, it kills me when, when we're at a show and someone goes to a rodent person and asks, "How many grams does that mouse weigh?" First off, you can <laughs> see the mouse; it's right there. Does it look big enough for your snake to eat? Yeah, I know, because like when they, you know, a lot of times too, like some of the other companies, like because I order like companies uh, for like quail and all that stuff, and they do by grams, and I'm like, man, I just want to see a picture of how big it is. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> That's how I am. I'll have to like go back to whatever company I ordered from before and see what their gram comparison is, because I have the physical one in my hand. I go, okay, that's what I'm trying to order then. Soda can or a dollar bill or a lighter. <laughs> so who was it used? I don't think Rodent Pro does it. Someone used to do that. It was a dollar bill. Everything was lined up next to a dollar bill, and. But- like, oh, okay, cool. That's how big it is. Perfect. Yeah, I can easily do that. So that's that's. Yeah. I just drives me nuts. And I saw that and I'm like, what what does it matter how many ounces it's supposed to? Does it look healthy? Can, yeah. I, uh, that's that's the question. Post a picture of your snake and we can all go. Yeah, we can't see its backbone. You're doing good. Or uh, it's yeah. kind of fat. Yeah. So. Uh, anyways, that was that was my my uh, soapbox there. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to say, oh, there's several other things that Travis posted this week. There was two new species of lizard found, and um, one was found in Machu Picchu, and it was named after Optimus Prime, which That's I cool. which I thought was cool. They're just small, dark, uh, high elevation, cold tolerant lizards, uh, which are pretty cool. And then there's another. It's a, I'm sure Travis is going to try to buy this. It's a kukri snake that they thought was extinct, but they're now not extinct, which happens a lot with remote places that people can't get to. I'm Sure, Ari has passed things that people don't think are still exist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, then uh, oh, also some several uh, gecko species. Travis posted several gecko species in Kenya that were uh, are new. A lot of new species. That's very cool. Um, <laughs> this is a good one. You saw it, and then Travis posted. It, it said, um, "So it was a snake identification and education group." It says we're beginning to have a problem with people who buy snakes, then they get loose. This can make identification of snakes a problem. They have found king cobras in New York. And I'm not going to miss this is how it's spelled. Green Mombasa in Phoenix. Please don't import snakes needlessly. If you want to see them go to the zoo. I was, I was like, what? Nope. No comment. <laughs> I was like, so there's, they found a green city on the horn of Africa <laughs> in Phoenix. Okay. Yeah. The green Mombasa. Yeah. Uh, well, I commented on it. He's like, you know what I mean. I was like, no. Then <laughs> no, fix I don't. it. Say what you mean. You should not have. No. Um, green Mombasa. God, they're, they're dangerous. You got to watch out for those green Mombasas. They're bad. Bad news. Uh, I just, uh, I, I love folks that want to comment on uh, one animal gets loose here or there, and everybody wants to comment on how the entire hobby is horrible. I'm like, can yeah. we talk about all the stray dogs and cats that got loose? Like, those are loose. Like, those are those are out there. Uh, oh, another thing I want to tell people to look out for because it's happened to me twice in like the last week. Watch for turtles. Uh, that was the absolute best part of my day yesterday. Was James contemplating whether or not to turn down? Oh, it was a, a one way street, and I was like, "There was a turtle crossing." I was like, "I need to go get that turtle," but it's the wrong. So I, I didn't, I didn't drive down the wrong way. I ran. I told him he just. Should. I pulled off to the side and it ran was down two the lanes. road. Lanes, he would have been fun. Um, but prior to that, earlier in the week. Our neighbor, we live in a neighborhood, and we're probably 100 yards, more than 100 yards away from the water. Yeah. And uh, she had a turtle on her porch. She posted it on her neighborhood Facebook group. And when I looked at the timestamp on it, it had actually been on her porch for like three hours. Wow. Um, and went, so I went down there, and it was there it was sitting on her porch. I picked it up, took it to the water. But between that and the one I got the other day, 
from what I can tell, they both look like large breeding sized females, most likely oh, yeah. leaving to lay eggs. It's that time of year. Um, and so watch for turtles. Uh, I, I remember reading a study once that said and something along the lines of uh, bodies of water near roads tend to have a higher population of males than females for that reason. The males don't have to leave sense. the water. The females do have to leave the water and they're getting hit by sure. cars and not making it back. Uh, There's been a couple of posts in our local uh, talk of Paleo group. I saved this turtle today from my backyard. What should I do with it? Go put it back. <laughs> put it back exactly where you found it and leave it alone. Yeah. So there was a, a thing that got posted in one of our snarky reptile groups where we all laugh at people. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to say the name. Yeah, of it, yeah. so I don't people I, looking it up. I know. Uh, it, it wasn't reptile related, but I got a good laugh out of it. What was it? We are out of per- perineum fuel. Oh, it's all we are very sorry for any inconveniences. I'm like, all right, no tank gas. <laughs> yeah, they, they, meant, oh they, meant, they meant premium, <laughs> right. but they're out of the perineum, perineum fuel. fuel. Oh. Is that so, why so high right now? <laughs> maybe, maybe. Spell check So you important. were talking about putting stuff back where you found it. So we have we have two dogs. I'm going to start using that. I'm going to say that gas is higher than a giraffe's perineum. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So we have two dogs. We have... A pit mix who's like 50 pounds and dumb as a box of rocks. And then we have... My She's not dumb. She's selectively intelligent. This is very true. She knows when she does shit wrong. Because she went and got in her crate this morning after barking at that dog in the corner yard. Yeah. She knew she wasn't supposed to do that. <laughs> I'm, I don't think she I'm put refer herself to, in her crate. I'm not going to refer to her as dumb anymore. She's selectively intelligent. Yeah. She chooses when to obey us. Anyway. <laughs> so then my, we have my daughter has a dachshund chihuahua mix. And That's this, dumb. this dog will rabbit hop across the yard when she gets excited and she chases after toads. We have a lot of toads. And we have so many toads in the backyard. So the other night I opened the back door to let him out to go to the bathroom and there was a huge toad. And before I, before I could think, I just scooped it up and like chunked it over the fence. <laughs> I mean, I yeeted that son of a bitch out of our yard. Like there was no tomorrow because the dog is going to pounce on it and try to eat it. And I was... Try so it once. It, it did not. <laughs> it did not get to stay where it was. It was a, f- a flying toad. It, there was a flying toad. <laughs> the rare Texas probably flying toad. Gave our neighbors a heart attack if they were in that their thing backyard. probably pissed the whole way across the air. It's just, uh, there was, so one thing, there was a really cool thing. Um, Nathan posted this in our group, and it's the at the National Aquarium. There's a waterway out there uh, in uh, I'll say it's in Baltimore, DC, Baltimore. I can't remember. Anyways. What they did was they noticed that there were a lot of turtles in this waterway and that there was really nowhere for the turtles to bask. And so they made a a basking platform for the turtles out of floating uh, wire caging and like a little grass area that they're growing up. And as soon as they put it out there and anchored it, just shit tons of turtles. Turtles they didn't even realize were in there. Some of the more rare turtles that were in there. Uh, it was just a cool idea of how this is not that hard. It's just some some wire fencing and some flotation devices underneath it. Uh, really change that area for those animals because there's nowhere for those animals to come. So I just thought it was kind of cool. If you go watch the video, you can see all these turtles climbing up on this brand new uh, floating platform out there. So, yeah, it was the, it was the Baltimore Aquarium, I think. But, uh, and then I was trying to see if there's anything else. Oh, this was neat. Travis posted this, and this is something I think we need to do in America. But it was in Iceland. They're, they're wanting to put a curfew out for cats. I saw that. Uh, your cats cannot be out at night. Now there are some places in Iceland where they have said your cats cannot, or dogs cannot be outside, which I'm all for. Uh, but I'm all for at least a small step of your cats cannot be out at night because as reptile people, we know how dangerous cats are when it comes to the things that we like, or just if, if you're any sort of nature lover in general, 
um, the amount of damage the cats have done to nature is insane. And it's my soapbox every month, every, every week. I want everybody to understand, look, I don't hate cats. I just hate outdoor cats. Keep, I agree. Keep your cat. Yeah. Keep them inside. Just keep them inside. Uh, it talks in here that cats are responsible for 63, uh, species going extinct, uh, 40 birds, 21 mammals, two reptiles, and they've contributed to the endangered status of another 587 species. So your sweet little cat is not harmless just because it lets you pet it. Oh, dude, I've seen some shit this week. Like one lady was just arguing with everybody in one of the groups about cats were naturally in the wild. So now <laughs> they should be allowed to do whatever they want. And I'm like, oh, I love that geez. argument. Every time we we'll go, God made them. God did not make your cat. Even <laughs> I don't care what you believe. What That's fine. That's the atheist telling you God. But anyways, humans made that cat. If, if you want to go with cats are in the wild, they are. There are bobcats. And there are a few cougars left around here, but there are not supposed to be a million feral cats roaming around killing things at will for fun. So, yep. Uh, anyways, way to go, Iceland. Keep those damn cats inside. All right, I'm. I think I'm good. I don't think I have anything else. To, I think my soapbox. I'm good. I was about to say you've been on a few tonight. It's important. They're important things. <laughs> uh, the world's full of stupid people. I need to call them out every now and then. Uh, Robert, you got anything? No. You weren't here last week to talk about the show. You had a uh, decent show the week before. We went and did a, a local reptile show. Yeah, it was okay. It was all right. It was, it was interesting. It was a lot of people. We talked about it a little bit. But yeah, show, I will definitely have a different approach to that show next time. That show is definitely uh, what we refer to as zoo people. Yes. Um, if you've ever gone to a reptile show, you've seen zoo people. They come to the reptile show because it's a zoo. Yeah. They want to touch things, hold things, see things. They're not... They're not part of the reptile. We talked about herpetic culture. They're not part of herpetic culture. But right? we're trying to bring them in. We're trying to, yes. Uh, which, which is great. There's a, a need for that, to get people in the door, just to get them familiarized with these things that we see as normal. Because, I mean, Ari, you've been to shows, and we've been to The average person walks through there, and they, they're they freaked out by a lot of it, and they think we're yeah, super weird. Uh, do for that day, essentially. Oh. Uh, trying to think of anything coming up. Ari, if people want to get a hold of you, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, you can go to projectblackpython.org, um, and you can go to Reptilandia, uh, on Facebook, um, or also on Instagram too. Um, and you have a, uh, a GoFundMe on the Project Black Python, right? Yeah, I, I, I don't have an active one right now, um, just because, uh, a lot of times I, I was doing it prior to like getting new equipment stuff like that into the field or getting back and stuff like that. So I haven't um, put anything up in a while, but if people are looking to donate um, to my research um, or donate to the, the new zoo facility, um, you can reach out um, any of those three application, you know, uh, platforms rather uh, Instagram or Facebook or, or uh, on my project black Python thing like that. So, and um, yeah, it'd be, it'd be great. I'd really appreciate it. And it, all of it helps and stuff like that. And uh you know, or if you just want to call or just message and talk about bowls pythons, I'm all up for it. I definitely recommend uh, if you if you can uh, give to it because, like I said, with the bowls pythons thing, Ari's not doing this through a university. He's not. There's not some grant out there paying for him to go do. Like this is Ari's. Like I want to go study these snakes in the mountains of Indonesia, and, and he's doing it. And yeah, it's, like I do have. So like all of my trips, um, they're funded either basically a hundred percent out of my own pocket, or I have um, some very Chris, um, like uh, research supporters, uh, one of them is Todd Goodman from Timberline, of course. He's a good friend of mine. 
um, and uh, Josh Hansen, who's also a very good friend of mine. I've had countless amount of other people that have donated to my research too, and, and I wouldn't be able to be doing this without having people helping out uh, because it's expensive to get there. But um, and it's you know, but it's it's needed. You know, it's you know, there's there's not much. No, not much time left. <laughs> I look at you know, and uh, we we need to figure. We know we need to help out the way we can. Well, the reason uh, this species is important, it's important for what you're doing, is uh, as far as reproduction, no one's really reproducing them in captivity. The the babies that people are getting are gravid adults coming in, right, laying eggs, and then those eggs hatching. So the adults aren't being brought in, but the babies are. So gotcha. that's the babies are being collected. So at least the adults are being left, which is which is good. Um, but you know, and, and then the ones, and obviously, you know, there's populations that are out there that I'm sure are not being affected by things like that. But the biggest factor, you know, mm -hmm. about everything is just, you know, habitat loss, obviously. So these populations, you know, if we keep taking the offspring from these areas and then the, you know, we lose the habitat, we lose the adults there. So there's no continuous reproduction in these areas. So, you know, one of my main goals here is to, is to help establish, you know, successful, healthy, uh, you know, colonies or groups of these animals in captivity with competent people that can do it and be able to reproduce them. We can alleviate any wild collecting pressures. Um, and then we can also sustain these animals in captivity um, if, you know, for any reason, if we end up losing them because of these, you know, these areas just disappearing. It's, it's sad. Well, there was a, a video last week that I posted on our, on our Facebook page, on our discussion that was talking about a road system going through Papua New Guinea. Um, yeah. And, and, the fear is that the same thing will happen there that's happened in other places. Once you put a road in and you make it possible for people to travel from one place to the other, then that expands and you start to lose more and more yeah. land. Yeah. I mean, New Guinea in itself is, is probably one of the last few places that, you know, is still completely, you know, hidden. There's so many areas there that are just not explored, but they did, uh, they completed a road, uh, two years ago in uh, West Papua, the area I go to, and it was a huge project. Um, and uh, I've heard that it's, you know, it's basically for all the big timber and, you know, all that construction vehicle stuff to go through because it's just a huge, massive, you know, journey. And uh, I heard it is not a safe place to go through. So um, I didn't obviously want to check it out, but, you know, I've heard I'll definitely be staying clear of it. I mean, it's a good place to get robbed uh, oh, wow. and thrown pitch. Um, so, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's only a matter of time before some of these areas are just, you know, just a memory, um, in sadly, I've already kind of experienced that with some of the stuff out there. So, you know, like I said, my goal is to learn as much as I can about these animals and be able to incorporate that into captivity so we can, you know, sustain, have healthy populations in captive, uh, uh environments. Well, that'd be awesome. I, I hope to see that. I know. Um, a few people that are keeping them, and, and I'm hoping I know that Keith McKe Keith has some. Yep. Keith McPeak, and so yeah, he's Keith working. Um, I don't. Does, does, does Ryan Young have any? Uh, no, but I I don't. Well, actually, I don't know. Um, he's bred like I, every I, other python, so I just. Yeah, Ryan is very very good with that stuff. Um, I do know he was involved with helping somebody recently, or within the last couple of years, uh, produce helping with you know some of his skill and stuff like that. So that's exciting, also. And um, I do know of um, I do know of a clutch that was already produced this year in captivity, um, and I know somebody else that possibly might have some some success as well. So there's there's some advance, you know, being made, which is good. Um, but a, a lot of it is, you know, we get into we get into the ego, which is a big thing in the in the reptile community. Mm -hmm. So 
lack of um, lack of sharing information has always been a huge factor. And and you know, I can understand if you don't want to share your secrets or whatever. But you know, it, and the way I'm looking at it for what we're doing is I'm trying to you know I'm trying to maintain these animals in captivity because they're not going to be around forever in the wild. So we need to figure out how to do this right where we can, you know, help these animals in the long run. Yeah. I don't, um, I don't get the ego when it comes to something like this. I just, there's, no. there's no, there's no negative to me if people know how to do this. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, and I, I try to talk to everybody and anybody that's had, you know, laid eyes on one of these snakes and just said, Hey, what's your thought? What's your idea? Have you worked with them? What have you observed? Things like that. And, you know, unfortunate enough, cause I try to maintain a really, really, positive you know reputation just with what i'm doing as well as the people that i talk to so that way they trust me and I'll say hey listen you know if you don't feel comfortable saying this publicly what you're doing you know please let me know so that way we can relate this to what we're doing and you know and 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 get this information out and possibly get it to somebody that you know that that has never had a chance to work with these snakes before and they do it you know or they or they figure out um they open up that door where somebody else you know, can walk in and fill in that spot. Um, so, I mean, that's the goal. And ultimately, I want that with everything that we're working with. But, you know, um, just particularly with me, with, you know, with my passion, you know, I would really, really be happy to see these snakes being bred more routinely in captivity um, because that would just be a, a really uh, happy thing to see. Yeah. So help out if you can. Definitely once the, the zoo opens up, go out there, visit. Uh, yeah. We're it's going to be awesome. I mean, I guarantee, you know, no matter where you're coming from, in-state, out-of-state, it is going to be well worth the trip. Uh, you will see things that you have never seen before. You will experience things that you've never been able to experience. And you'll just have a great time. And it's we want it to be a happy place for people to come out and have a great time and learn. You know, that's what we want. We're all about learning. That's why we're doing this stuff, you know. Can't wait. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, looking excited. I'm excited for that. I, any any <laughs> chance to see Reptile Zoos? Yeah, and thank you guys for having me come out. I really appreciate that. I haven't uh, done a podcast in a bit, and uh, it, it's always fun. I always enjoy talking to people, especially new people and stuff like that too. So, uh, don't be, you know, you guys have my contact. So, yes, thank you. Oh, we're yeah. we'll definitely let you know when we're coming. That way, hundred percent. You yeah. know, hopefully you'll be he'll, there that day, and <laughs> he'll he'll be there. <laughs> um, no, not like that. No. Katie, you got anything? I don't. <clears throat> Nothing. Again, anybody, you got a few hours left if you want to get in for this giveaway for the man, Mandala behind me with a chameleon on it. There's a picture on our Facebook page. All, again, all you got to do is post a picture of your U.S. ARC membership, and you're in. You're in the giveaway. Um, next week, we'll be back. I don't know who the co-host will be. It'll be somebody. It may be these two people. Hopefully. We'll see. I think next week I'm free. Okay. <laughs> uh, but you got yeah. a couple of weeks till I'm gone for a while. <laughs> Thank you, Ari, for coming on. It was great. Not a problem. Uh, hold on for a minute while we log off. We'll see all of y'all next week, and good night. Good night.